Today's episode is brought to you by Gray Block Pizza. For all of your pizza needs, if you need it, they got it. If you're in Los Angeles, you can stop over there, get that taste, get that vibe, get your mouth full. 1811 Pico Boulevard in Los Angeles on the way to the beach. Gray Block, get that hitter, baby. Today's guest is one of the most successful and one of the most um, musically, uh, maybe provocative or, I don't know, unique men that there is in the music market. He has a new album out, which is uh, kind of a country, well, I don't know what to classify. We'll get into it a little bit, but uh, it is Diplo Presents Thomas Wesley Chapter 1 Snake Oil is the new album. I suggest you check it out. It's got some real bangers on it. Today's guest is none other than Diplo. Riffraff here, right? Was it here? Oh, Riffraff was in Florida. Okay, so that was like he I, helped, kind of. Yeah, I mean, I was. I remember he was living in Baltimore, and I just was watching his videos, and I had a, I had a label. I saw the label called Mad Decent, and mm-hmm. I was just like, man, this guy, something special about him. And um, I linked him and had him come up to LA, and we worked a little bit, and um, we made his. We, I signed him to his first album on my label, which for me. In retrospect, I think it was one of the most groundbreaking hip hop albums of this like new generation. And people won't believe me, but every time I work with a young rapper, they always brought him up. Like, cause they're right. like 14, 15, they watch him on YouTube and he's like doing lines of coke or like acting crazy or just being unabashedly himself, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They That's ha- what he is. They had this free, they see that and they see like this idea of like the freedom that he did. Cause he was like, ant- he was like the people on World Star would comment just, he would blow up on Wall Street. People were just like, "Fuck this!" Like, you know, they were like, "What the fuck is this bullshit?" <laughs> yeah. But it, it's like drove the the videos up to where people were like so confused. And if you're like an older person, you're like well, I don't get that hip hop. But if you're like 14 or 15, you're like, "Oh, I love this, I love this punk dude. aspect of this." So like, that's a good word. He's like punk hip hop. Yeah, he was punk, and he was just everything was freestyle too. I mean, he was. That's what I'm saying with him. I, I bet the podcast is just so good because the guy is so fast. Like he just. Oh, he's the that things, cherry canary, the bro. The he freaking comes up with, yeah. pulls out of space, is just like, what the fuck, bro? He's that Tangerini Lamborghini, <laughs> dude. He has a... <laughs> what was the album called? I want to give him... I know he has a new album out right now called Vanilla, Vanilla Gorilla. Yeah. Vanilla Gorilla. So everybody go and get that and support Riff Raff, man. Uh, yeah, I love him. Dude, when I... So I went to his place in De- Florida. Deerfield. And this, yeah, this yeah. Where he lives? Yep, in Deerfield. So... We get there, we go to the front door, right? And I'm kind of nervous because it's almost like meeting like an endangered species. Yeah, if you don't know him for the first time, he must be a pretty daunting <laughs> yeah, yeah. creature. Remember in Jurassic Park when they kind of are milling around and they know the dinosaurs yeah. out there? And they just see the big old brontosaurus. Yeah. It's kind of like that. Yeah, he's like ri- that. When you're riding along, you don't know where the animal's going to come yeah. from. And then I, we get to the front door and it has been welded shut. There is no way. There's no actual door? Yes. It's just a huge piece of metal that's just welded. <laughs> Why do you get in? Bro, that's what I didn't know. <laughs> so I started just saying things that I'd seen on Harry Potter, you know, like Zillica's <laughs> trying to open the Trying to open the door. And then um, he takes us and then he comes out, his assistant comes out through the garage and he met us in there. He and an he, assistant? 
he had no this guy Maserati Mike oh, Maserati has, Matt yeah he always has people around that are just like crazy people yeah, that yeah, yeah. are his assistants but I don't know crazy but also slash barber <laughs> yeah. and Maserati Mike gave me some stripes in my head too that were really really dope and I felt like when he did that that I was did like, he have the mullet when you when you interviewed him yeah he did he had just gotten it he has a good mullet yeah oh he's got beautiful hair I cut his brother's hair Victor is that who you did on, uh, yeah, on your Instagram on Instagram <clears throat> and he has good there you go right there yeah he has a good uh yeah yeah that's a young mullet. Now your mullet's a little fuller, puffy. Yeah. You got you shaved the in, the insides a little bit more. Yeah, it's getting a little more. Robust. I have I have the straightest hair that like my mullet. I'm gonna get a mullet soon because <clears throat> my last thing Hell before yeah. I just shave the head off because I. Are you going all the way back <clears throat> to that? Bro, I'm 41. I mean, like this is my last chance for growing my hair long. I don't think this is like <laughs> it was like an accident. I started doing it. I'm just like I can't turn back now. It's like a one way street. <laughs> And um, I'm so scared because when I do it, I just give up on the dream of having long hair. Yeah. Right? So I'm going to go to the mullet. And, uh, but I have straight ass hair, so it's going to look like. Oh, yeah. It's going to look like. Joe Dirt. Like, uh, I mean, yeah, like Joe Dirt. Like Joe but I don't, even, I, don't even, I don't even have the, the hair that sticks up, though. Like uh, how those guys, like the 80s guys had the fucking things that pop up. It's not going to look like that. It's going to look like. I mean, can you pull up any, like, I don't know if you can pull up any mullets that are straight hair mullets. It's pretty. Yeah, let's go straight well, hair Well, Joe mullets, Exotic, but right? he's, he had, I think his hair was, he bleached it so much, it got like fluffy, but. It's kind of hard to do the straight hair mullet, man. Or string, almost stringy. Yeah. I didn't want to say it. You said it, Nick. Thank you. Stringy hair. I have and, thin hair. I'll be honest, man. It's like I'm, I'm on my last leg over here. I mean, these are like these are like. Uh, There's a lot of women coming. <laughs> that one. That, go to the second one. That's what it's gonna look like a prison. Oh, like, damn, like <laughs> it's like that's what I'm gonna look like, bro. And I think it's and it's blonde. So you're gonna think I'm bald, really. It's gonna be pretty. Dude, if you go full with the front, really, really low cut, that's gonna be a brave move. But you're gonna but, feel like a stallion. Yeah, I mean, who has a good mullet? Is a uh, Diane Word had a good had a good mullet. The who's guy from Nin Ninja, Diane Word, he has a good mullet. Oh, who's always? Uh, He's a South African rapper, and his and his girlfriend. He was always talking about him. Yeah, oh yeah, oh wow, he does. And his girl has a really good mullet too. Oh yeah, I'd watch their heads. Yeah. I'd watch you never, their you never, you never fuck. seen them? Uh uh. They're they're a rappers from South Africa that like he's an old school hip hop rapper. Mm -hmm. Um, like from that era from South Africa, but he like thinks Afrikaans like the wackest culture in the world. So he kind of like made a fake version of Afrikaans rapper as like kind of a joke, but it was amazing. Like this culture of like these kind of like Cape Town, like yeah, I've been there a couple times in I the really streets, love it, and man. yeah, like they made fun of the whole culture of like being like white South African Afrikaans rapping, and they just made it actually cool. He made these amazing videos, like super cutting edge. I produced some of the music for them, and they made a movie um, about robots in South Africa. They actually. They did amazing things, like full artist. I love the guy, and that's his. That's hit the girl in the band, sick rapper too. And they both were like they had a child together, and they're just like an awesome power couple. Wow. And they're doing like cool things for in South Africa for the like, community there. Yeah, I think so. I think they they represent like the Cape Town, like kind of like this kind of hybrid of like. I mean, South Africa would be one of the most amazing places, like culturally. My favorite country, man. Yeah, I love it. I mean, like, I go there. I work a lot in Africa with like my other project, Major Laser, and, and like I do shows like Nigeria. We go to Uganda, Kenya, and South Africa is just like a bubble. Like, it doesn't really, it's, it exists on its own because it's so diverse with yeah. like people and music, and even the scene there. There's like techno music there, like African techno, African house, like African hip hop. You know, they they speak. Uh, in Kosa, they speak like four different languages. They have whole different music scenes and they have Afrikaans. They have like, you know, rock and roll. It's just the craziest, most vibrant place. It's just right. like chaos there. And I love that place so much. And then if you see Cape Town, they have like these amazing communities there where they're like doing like drifting and like they're doing like these crazy, it's just, 
it's just such a huh. bizarre place. I wonder why. Well, I guess because, I mean, obviously they have so much African culture there. Like yeah. anytime I've been there, we even went up into like um, into the country, like away from yeah. some of the coastal areas and went to like some black colleges, yeah. like, like the first black college yeah. ever and like some places. So I could see how they just have their influences are just all over the place because it's yeah. also real kind of avant-garde. Like they're. Yeah. They had, I mean, there's like, this, it was always the richest African country. Um, it's terrible because like, you know, it was, it was colonized and I think it was, you know, it's this hybrid of European, like four different tribes that are really big in South Africa. Then you have like Indian uh, culture and then like a lot of immigrants. And then the like, you know, like the last 20 years, I mean, apartheid only ended in like the nineties, which yeah. is crazy. And then it kind of dissolved into like, there's like chaos in the, polit the political universe there. But in general, um, it's very, it's a first world country. It's like the infrastructure was built during apartheid and it was always like, uh, they had like a space program. You know that they had like no a, they, yeah way. in the eighties they had like a space program. Dude, I'd and, love to see that. <laughs> I mean, it's like this kind of like sense of like, I mean, when you watch Diane Ward in their movies and some of this stuff, there's like sense of like aliens in South Africa. You know, like this kind of oh the movie he did the movie with the guys who are like uh, District Nine, like they're, oh, they're yeah, they yeah, work that, that great. They're, they're part of that, that that community that do that kind of stuff. That's like full like South African film and it kind of feels like. You know, yeah, the I message saw that movie. there. That was amazing with those big so, yeah. aliens, kind yeah. of like it was like in a jungle. Like a realistic almost. version of like how aliens. It, it was, it was, it's a movie about refugee culture. What it would Because be the like. aliens are like refugees, and they're put into like this. Oh. They're they're put into like the ghettos. Yeah. And it's like a, it's like if you take the idea of race and humans out of it, you think about it from a different perspective. That's the movie. It's like kind of like you think about it in a different way. Like how you know we're actually one species, humans. Right. And how can you like discern like the idea of race and speech? It's just like kind of a really strong conversation because South Africa is such a violent history. And, um, you know, it's kind of cool now because I think the younger generation of kids I see when I go and play there, they're like finally post-apartheid, like the way they think about people. Right. And like, but if you meet people that are over 30, they still have it's this, different. they still have this sense of inbred racism in their minds, you yeah. know, that they have to get rid of. Yeah. It's fa racism is kind of fascinating, man. Cause some of it is, I think it's some of it, sadly, I think just takes time to go yeah because some of it isn't even some people's fault it is it's the parent it's the grant it's yeah. just something that's like it's almost like that reaganomics that it's hard down. It's, it's hard to change your parents minds you know like it's just it's weird and um because south africa time yeah too. south africa like really when it when apartheid broke i think it was like a, a strong like they the, the the whole culture change rules change laws change and it like broke really america's had this like sliding dealing with racism yeah. like that's never really gone anywhere we never really i mean we had like a, a civil rights movement which was was you know people always go back to that like that was a big movement but really nothing when you think about what's happening now like nothing really has changed since then for right. black americans to where it's still like ingrained like racism in our in our in our society and you think about places which is amazing about a civil rights movement because you think about places like brazil even like they don't they never had that they never had places like where they had a movement right for like black brazilians and brazilians of color to like change the government the way the country is but america had it but we just still have no we're dealing with racism so slowly right i mean the fact that we're still like mississippi and i was born in mississippi is now have the conversation to change the confederate flag off their flag is like that was the confederate flag was put on mississippi's flag during like the 1890s as like to because of that was a racy time yeah it was definitely done as like a moment like a really racist movement and right. it's like there's no reason to there's no pride or heritage in that flag like for me right i'm born in mississippi and i you know i'm proud of it. i'm proud that I, was, I was born there but i mean there's no reason for that symbol to mean anything to anybody it's literally like the symbol of losers and it, it offends people so i don't understand what the what the argument is well i think and i and i can even not i can't justify the argument but i know that I think there's some people 
who just grew up with it not being like a, maybe their grandparents it was yeah. a racist thing for you know but i think there's like younger people who are just like oh that means that i'm southern or that yeah. means that um they, they it, there's a lot of disinformation of like what it does mean like when people when people experience like what black lives matter means or defund the police it's like a shocking idea right in the beginning but if you just read into it a little bit and kind of understand the concepts you can kind of be logical about the way you think about it if you think about the reason of that image it's kind of easy to understand why it's uninclusive but if you're born there and you just grew up there you want to hold on to that because that's you like i, I right. understand it's a little that. bit of your tradition yeah like, but you don't know you, you don't think about oh wait that actually is something that was extremely racist yeah. when it was put into the flag or whatever so then you can feel oh yeah that's why I, that's why it bothers people and then you got to realize like is it that important to you right as it is to them because it's actually offensive to them but for you it just means like something that you don't really understand that it means but right for you it's maybe something that you put up on yeah. your wall but i think um you know, because I agree with you wholeheartedly. You know, I know yeah. exactly what you're saying. The tough part is getting people to see that other perspective, really getting them to see it, yeah. you know? And also, yeah, I think for a lot of people, and that would be my only argument against, not against it, but for understanding, like having empathy for why some yeah. people think, oh, you're taking away a piece of my tradition, yeah. you know? It's just the tradition to them, everybody, not as much the history. Yeah, everybody in America is like, feel like they're fighting to hold like there's fighting for like hold on to something like but it's like you got to understand what is it what's it really mean if you kind of right. want to define it to yourself and if you and dig that deep you'll be like oh actually you know what it's kind of bullshit but it might take you a while to scratch the surface right that's the get thing there and that's the thing and that's the that's what i think um you know it's like having empathy for people as they figure out what's that process yeah. and that's sometimes i think what's hard to do between different sides it's like yeah. You know, it's, you know, I've been lucky enough and, you know, to come from a place and to kind of get to another place where you can kind of get a different view yeah. of things. Even as going to South Africa, bro, I remember the first time I went to South Africa. It was the first country I ever went to outside of America. Why'd you go there for the first time? Um, I was working on a reality show and they took us there. As a trip? Oh, uh, yeah, as a okay. trip. And I remember getting there and I remember there were so many, we were in like these Soweto villages and stuff yeah. and there's so many black people. Yeah. Just so many. And I grew up in Louisiana and it's it was really 50-50 in our yeah. area, but... I remember thinking, holy smokes, all these people, and there was a lot of Christians too there. And I remember, you know, I believe in going to heaven and stuff. And so I remember thinking, holy smokes, there's gonna be a lot of black people in heaven. I'd never. <laughs> that's, a, that's kind of weird to conceptualize it that way. It but is, I but I'd never thought about yeah. it. You know, I guess I'd only gone to mostly white churches and, you know, not that I thought heaven was only for white people, but when I saw, so, it was just, um, I mean, some of the Soweto villages were tens of thousands of people yeah. out in these like lean the shanty, towns, shanty yeah. towns yeah and i was like holy smokes like all these people are going to be in heaven too and i'd never put that other countries also go to heaven i, yeah. I think i just never i thought heaven was just for americans you know <laughs> it's, it's crazy thing about america that's the most segregated place in america is churches like literally like you never see like white and black people go to church together yeah it's always like a defined but church is chicken brings in everybody yeah church is chicken is the only place where it's like everybody's there having a good time but i just thought about that it's not like a bad thing you know religions you know it's organized in a certain way but you never it's i, I went to church all the time as my as a young person it was just like our neighborhood down in florida or mississippi was like like a white church yeah and the black church was on another side of the street or whatever and it never was like the black church was fucking hype. It was way, fuck, way, though, way like, more hype. Yeah, <laughs> way, way more. I was like, can we go to the black church? You know, every once in a while, dude. I, I remember going to a black funeral and being like, damn, I want to be black, man. Because I mean, if, with this, well, funeral, the, well, the Louisiana, you have like the most amazing funeral culture. It's like crazy with the second line and like 
jazz funerals and like wow it's like just the culture you're definitely is, going to heaven are yeah, you going 100 you're going somewhere <laughs> way better than we are yeah. gonna, i don't want to go there and just like a guy like going oh, doo, doo. i want to go there was like fucking I know, jazz I music funk, yeah. dude i want the top of this yeah, i want the top the of fuck? the casket to be wet yes. that's how it is sometimes man <laughs> um we had a question that came in for you actually right here there's questions oh shit not sure if our audio is up or not <laughs> mm-hmm. it looks like my my nephew <laughs> it might be man <laughs> What up, Theo? What up, Diplo? Hey. Legend. Man, Diplo, I just want to know, man, what made you want to drop the country album? Oh, shit. That thing slapped. Yeah. I bump it every day. <laughs> uh, other than that, man, keep doing what you're doing. Gang, gang, let's get it. <laughs> there you go. Let me see your I was, I was just, I was just, I was just talking to, uh, to, my bo- to, the, to Ernest, who worked with Morgan Wallen in the car on the way here. And we were talking about like growing up, I lived in Nashville for a couple of years at Hendersonville and I didn't consider myself part of like country or not. I was in the hip hop scene there doing stuff. But um, when you grew up there, like the channels are like 31 is, is, is uh, CMT and then 33 is BET. And I remember mm-hmm. when I got out of school, I would watch the CMT Country Countdown and I would watch Rap City right afterwards. And I was always like the fusion of that between commercial breaks, I would switch channels. I would watch like, you know, I'd see like Alan Jackson videos and then I'd watch like KRS-One or like Wu-Tang. And I just was like, grew up with that music everywhere. And you know, kids in their trucks riding around doing the same thing, listening to country and hip hop. And um, my album isn't really a fusion of that, but I, I like the last couple of years, I've been like getting more and more into country because the artists are so awesome and like so much good stuff coming out of Nashville and songwriters, you know, from um, Morgan to like Chris Stapleton to uh, uh, um, my guy, uh, Sturgill Simpson. Oh, yeah. And there's just, I was like, damn, this stuff's like awesome. Like Marin Morris, you know. Casey Musgraves and I was like getting into the vibe a little bit and I was just thinking like what this this shouldn't be a taboo thing to do is like work on country and um when we made the first song Morgan it was like very controversial for Nashville even for him like it was a trap record kind of like I don't even think about that I just put the drums that fit on the record right um but it was like never got played on country radio we had to get it on really yeah it got got, got on a highway on the on, and still not playing on country radio because they don't they think it's too you guys is remake you mean the the one you that's yeah. on your new album yeah it's more it's called heartless and morgan wallen yeah. and it's like kind of like got 808s and heartless. stuff in it yeah so good so man. it's just but it's streamed like crazy so like all these kids are listening to it and people are doing it on tiktok and i'm like this you kind of don't need the nashville scene to do the country music like you have to it's like a, a order to get in there i felt like and i just felt like me and me and morgan we did this record and he believed in me i'm so glad he gave me this record and um we did it separately we did we streamed the record and kids liked it and i think like kids that are that guy's age like high school kids and um older kids are just this this music this fusion of kind of like club and hip-hop and country which isn't forced just we worked hard on making it make sense yeah um, it really is a time for that right now where people can like I said, no country radio is playing and we're almost having like half a billion streams in the album already. But it's also interesting too because I think that younger generations, you see them, they want it to be, they want to find it in an alternative way. Yeah. And it's weird we get stuck in in, in ways that we kind of grew up with. Yeah. Like you want to get it on this. Like I said, like we're just talking about the churches. I mean, when you go to high school, you're like, you get in with the, the art kids. You get in with like the, 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 the jocks. You get in with like the goth kids. I mean, if you're a black kid, you're going to do a certain thing. Like you're going to live with your experiences in that neighborhood. Like you might get into hip hop. It's going to be hard for you to get into goth music or right. metal music, but some kids do it. Nowadays, kids don't have only the information in their neighborhoods. They have YouTube, they have TikTok, and they're getting exposed to everything. And yeah. they make the choices about what they want to be or what they want to do really, really early. Like it used to be kind of like 
you, you know, you have these genres and you kind of, as people, you get put into them too because of the amount of information you get. And I think the last couple of years, it's just, there's no genres. We're like, we broke that down. And I think that's why it's a time where a record like this can exist, you know, and like people yeah. aren't, you know, or, or, you know, rapper, like I think Outkast is a good example. When they came out, they just broke down all barriers and they made quality music. They made funk, they made rock, they made hip hop, they made like, you know, trap music and they just like crush it internationally. And I think that was like a good example of what you could do. You can mix everything up together. And I think that from then on, they opened the door for a lot of music to just be like genreless. And I've always been a mm. like a sponsor of that, you know? Yeah, you seem really kind of genreless, especially I feel like as you get more into like kind of learning about, you know, what you've done and where you've gone through and like even just the locations that you've done a lot of your shows, like you'll do some, I mean, even just saying that you've done shows in Nigeria, it's yeah. like, uh, Tunisia. I don't know if you said Tunisia or not, but <laughs> Uganda. We Uganda, did like we did. Yeah, we played like we played like Uganda Independence Day. Wow! Because the project I do another project called Major Laser is just um, yeah. We it doesn't really. It's not like a big project in America. We had a huge record called Lean On that was here a couple of years ago, and like lighted up. But never really like the brand never worked. It's like group of guys like me, my friend who's Jamaican, my friend Mexican Ape Drums and Wall Street Fire, and we're just like this diverse group. We have dancers and we do a show. But it didn't really fit into the trend in America where we like were able to tour it or whatever. But in Africa, it just took off like wow. that project because I think Africa is just a, also a place where you see the fusion. Like you think South Africa is like that diverse place, and like Uganda, Kenya, especially we were, we had these big shows that were there. Were, there were more people coming to our shows in Kenya than I could get in like New York. Dang. We have like fifteen thousand kids in like in Nairobi at our shows, and, That's I'm, crazy. and we actually got we got paid really well, and then. Africa is difficult touring because you have a couple markets where you can make, but Nigeria, I'd always go there and play for free. Like the first couple times I went there because they don't give a fuck. They were just like, they had like the, the Nigerian music scene is so enormous mm-hmm. and it's so big and right now it's so influential that we had to like actually ch- chip our way into that. And then finally had some fans come in. And then we had a couple records that were, that did well there. And um, for a couple of years, I just concentrated on like Africa and like, you know, Europe for touring for that project because it was, that's where my money was. Yeah. And then, um, you know, being here in quarantine and the working on the country album is the first time where I've had like a record connect in America actually. So, I've been just pushing that out, making videos and marketing. Yeah, those songs slap, man. Yeah. I mean, it's really good. We have, we have a guy who works on a, a different podcast called King of the Sting, and he is the only black Henry Rollins fan that I have. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting to see, like, that, that a younger generation, yeah. there's not things aren't as linear. You know, like, we talk a lot about beige power here, that one day, like, we're all hurtling towards this yeah. beige skin tone eventually. Yeah. You Where know? it's like, yeah, one we're going to be one person because yeah. of globalization. It's like just, you know, it might be slower than you think, but it might be faster. And I think we're all going to work towards, you know, one culture. I mean, people, we have only one YouTube, right? At the yeah. end of the day. So you have records that can go anywhere. They can get big in Africa. They can get big in China, Japan. And you have like, it, oh, also, it also equalizes. Anybody can just upload a song to SoundCloud or YouTube and it can go, you don't need a label. You don't need, you used to need nice infrastructure. Because that changes the, the, there's not as much of that, the, the, the glass ceiling, the doorkeepers. Yeah. You don't need, you don't need a, to break through all these doors to get to where you are. Like if you're in a band back in the sixties, you first have to save up money to get a guitar or whatever, learn it, find people who like guitar too, become a band, spend your energy, learning learning songs, divorce your wife, whatever, go to sun studio, find some money to go to studio, record a demo. This is already three years into your project. Then maybe find someone to send your demo to, and then maybe suck someone's dick at a label to get in the door or whatever. Yeah, that's true. And then that's like three. And then so they, you need a woman yeah, in the band. Crazy. You have it's to have, crazy. or you need that's just true. a man. Yeah, that's just eager man. Yeah, you just gotta. It's it was so rough, and it, the, the process took so fucking long. And then maybe they'll give you a deal, which is gonna suck, obviously. Yeah. Then you gotta force them to market your music, and maybe make a what a video or go on tour. We're talking five year process to get your one fucking song out, right? Now kids are like seventeen, suburbs of Fort Lauderdale. 
But have a fucking crazy ass haircut <laughs> and a face tat, bang, drop a record. And they're fucking explodes, little peep. Yeah. Just got, it's got to be a fucking, but it's got to be a movement. Like for me, peep was like amazing. You know, I, I, it took me a while to like get into his music and I became a huge fan. And like XXXTentation, another guy were just like, I was like, these guys are like doing it from the heart, really. Like even with Riff Raff in the beginning, you just feel like it's really raw and real. Like because they didn't have any, it's almost like folk music. They had no background to do it. They just dropped what they felt right. like they could do. And it was like people and kids connected with it. Like, wow. Yeah, they would even be fuck, like really fucked up making the music sometimes. I mean, Riff Raff, I couldn't fucking make a song with him <laughs> without a bag of cocaine. Like it was a fucking, we had a studio and there was a painting. I had like a gold record on the wall. And he, he fucking dug a hole behind the painting and hid cocaine there. So I was like, where's the coke coming from? Like you always had a bag of cocaine hidden in a wall socket somewhere. And I was like, and without the cocaine, he would just be like, oh, trying to write lyrics, like, what the fuck? And then with the coke, drop, go in the booth, 16 fucking verses, just dropping them, like, left Damn. and right. So, not to say you should do cocaine, but for some people, it just no. helped a little bit. But look, it's Florida. Look, that's considered a hobby in Florida, <laughs> yeah, like, I think. And it's I mean, a little wet. That's the thing about that Florida cocaine, man. So, it got a little damp on the top. It's crazy the different places where drugs are so accessible. Like, Florida, yeah. Coke was like, people in high school were just doing it. I mean, I don't even know what kids are doing nowadays. That's crazy. crazy. I don't know either. But I don't know if kids are doing as much. Uh, I want to I want to tell a riffraff story, too, because it is so much fun. There's something about him. It's like seeing the only... It's like somebody knows where there's like a freaking like hippopotamus, and they're not telling anybody else or yeah. something, you know? He's like... He's just like... And if you get... He, it's, he's had a career a long career now man. he's been like doing this for like 10 years and if you go on that YouTube down the whole tunnel yeah. what, you can go over there for like a week yeah. it's just crazy it gets deep it's, if he cut up a mango for me man he said he was changing his diet mangoes only he told me I've he, seen him go through a lot of mango. different diets man he was on a drug bending WWF diet once and oh then, yeah he's, I think he's vegan though he's for the last couple of years I mean he's in sober. shape so I think he's doing Good for him. Yeah, last time I saw him, he was getting more, and that was more the the vibe he was going for. I took him to the premiere of that movie, um, Game Changers, which is a movie about Arnold Schwarzenegger produced it, and the uh, James Cameron. It's a movie about like how the how you don't know this, but the best athletes in the world are vegan, and they have been for a while. Like the oh, wow. biggest weight, the, the the guy who's like the strong man of the world, like the biggest uh, weightlifter, this guy Armenian guy. He's vegan. Uh, the best female like bike rider is vegan. The best track runners are vegan, and um. I don't suggest everybody be vegan because I think it's just you know you got to. Right, like but no, learn. that's interesting though. That's an interesting through but line. It's, but when you're doing, when you're doing, yeah, that guy, vegan, look <laughs> at that guy. That bone. So you can actually get big. Uh, or is it Iranian or something? But he's he looks awesome. He's got the sickest. I mean, if you get the oh. mullet and those sideburns, that oh. guy's the Icelandic guy. That guy's a beast. He's like seven foot tall. The other guy, but that guy, wow. he's apparently the biggest uh, weightlifter and he's vegan. Huh. So yeah, the Chris Paul was. They were, they were talking about a new diet that Chris Paul was doing. Yeah. I think it was vegan and how. Yeah, and, Chris and was, how at it was the, helping Chris him. Chris and, and uh, Chris was at the um, talking about the basketball player. Yeah, he was the premiere, and so was DeAndre Jordan, who also uh, was. He's vegan. hilarious. He's big. Yeah, yeah, Texas. He actually went to high school with the riffraff. Did he really? I took him to Vegas once. They recognized each other. No. Yeah, I was like, what? Riffraff has the best stories. So I pull. I get there. So I go into the garage. He shows me all the clothes that I owned. From 1991, right? His clothes are yours. They're his, yeah. but he, he, actually, they could have been my childhood clothes. He just happened to have them in a box at his house, right? He probably could still wear them and make sense of it, because bro, he had all just every anything that hyper was color, yes. anything, anything with the Air Jordan like and four new. colors and like yeah, totally all of that in a box. Then he's like, "Let's go for a ride." So he gave me this pretty cool bice. Was it a bicycle? 
Yes, like a motorized bike, and he got on a four wheeler, and we literally went through his neighborhood. I was going to say he gave me a bison, and yeah. I rode it around <laughs> yeah. Beach, and I was like, "Whoa, this is we did some coke, <laughs> yeah. crashed into a brick wall." Well, the bison went and bought a couple grams while I was on it. <laughs> I was like, what a fucking that's a big bison. He was strong. I had to fucking bankroll that bison, dude. Yeah, I'm like, I don't know if Joe Rogan would eat this meat, bro. He might fucking take, bison. take his own life. You ever, you ever hear the story about the coked up bear? And, uh, there's a there's a, bu- a bunch of coke. Maybe you look up the coked up bear. This is another good story. A guy was like drug dealing and, dr- and like a plane crashed, and uh, he was like a drug tra- drug trafficking in Kentucky. And a bear found all this coke and ate all of it. And he was like, yeah. he ate like a pound of cocaine. Oh. It was like, and then they found this bear, and they found he was like just raging in coke <laughs> in the forest, and he died within like 20 minutes. Yeah. But they've taxidermied, and he's like in a state hall or something. He's like the the the, the, the craziest coke bear. There he is, Pablo Escobar, legendary cocaine him. bear of Kentucky. <laughs> but he died. He he did the most coke of any animal of all time. Does bear. Uh, does Nick Cage now own this bear? I feel like he would buy the freaking bear out of the museum. You probably probably take snort some of the bear's hair. Probably and get it um, dude. What about Swaley? I saw you had him on an album. I know he's from Tupelo as well. Yeah, yeah. Swaley. Actually, my only show I ever did in Mississippi was in Tupelo. They used to do that. They used to do that Christmas at the casino uh, or no? No, it was in a, it was in a um it was in a like there must be a a basketball arena for there's a university around there or something it was like ten thousand capacity maybe northwestern louisiana or something it was even. no it was in, it was in tupelo it was like it was like a little a tiny arena there where they had, must have country shows and things like that right. but I, we Rodeo did a show there and honestly bro that show gave me a lot of faith in mississippi because i mean i'm from mississippi um they're, they're both from tupelo the, the brothers and then you know elvis was born in oh yeah below we went to his childhood and, um, home on our last tour we stopped over there they, the homie was born in that's yeah, in memphis i think they they uh they the, the guys who sold him his first guitar came to my show they have like another museum no there and they, they had, he used to buy hardware stores just used to sell musicians instruments back wow. in the, the the 50s i guess that's where you would buy you didn't have music shops you had to go to a hardware store and they had a guitar up there and they had a his hardware store came and gave mm. me like a bunch of memorabilia and stuff but that crowd was like I mean, it was weird. It was segregated. Like there was the groups of kids from different high schools, but it was like the first time I think Mississippi ever had a show that was like equally white and half black, and, and like kids were just knew every lyric to every song. And you know, I'm glad they let me open because the kids didn't even know who the fuck I was. I was like up there DJing with them. But it was the the mayor came out and gave me the key to the city. Oh, that's awesome. And um, race rumors. I mean, those kids are amazing. They're like outcasts to me. Like they're they're also like a like I said, kids that don't. They don't have fucking rules. Like they grew up like probably listening to everything. And Sway's voice is amazing. We did a bunch of right. We did a record with uh, Ellie Goulding called "Close to Me" that went went, went yeah, yeah. last year. Yeah, I heard that man. Yeah, there we were right there. Yeah, that was in Tupelo actually. Yeah. So that was the home that yeah that Elvis was born in. We just stopped there on the last tour, man. Yeah, I'm a big Elvis fan. Yeah, honestly. man, it, it's interesting. But then they also say that and I know we brought the guy up last time. Some of his tour, some of his songs were bought off of a black. Back then, I think a lot of times they were. I mean, he was definitely ripped everything off of yeah. the black rockabilly, uh, you know, like early rock artists. I'm not even sure what the genre was back then, but I mean, he was, he had like 5,000 songs, like That's some crazy. crazy number in the beginning. I'm sure he had black songwriters. Yeah, he wrote some had... stuff at Sun Studios with like, you know, Johnny Cash, even in, um, what's the other guy who used to write Elvis's records? Uh, another another East Tennessee guy. Waylon Jennings. Yeah. But I mean, he was. I mean, everybody knows the Elvis story. I mean, he was definitely uh, no. It was it was in Sun Studios. There's a picture of Johnny Cash, Elvis, and uh, Carl Carl Perkins, and uh, there's like the four of these guys. It was just like an amazing vibe in that studio. But um, you can say what you want. I mean, Johnny. I mean, uh, Elvis has a oh, he still look very. Uh, people loved him. Yeah, that, this picture's sick. Look at this guy, Million Dollar Quartet. It's uh, Carl Perkins, Johnny wow. Cash, Elvis, and some other guy writing. 
And Elvis got them baby cheeks. Almost like he yeah. has butt skin on his face. He, he had beautiful face. He had a nice. He had, this early looks like he had Botox back in Mississippi style. Jerry Lee, Jerry Lee Lewis. Jerry Lee Lewis. Yeah, that guy was a freaking. Bro, he's from Vidalia, Louisiana. He wouldn't. He wouldn't that guy wouldn't have made it these days. Marrying a thirteen-year-old oh, yeah, sister. Actually, in Hollywood, he still might have made no, it. No, he actually it ruined his career. He actually <laughs> it, it, he, really? he went to Europe and it just became like a it was like an early like tabloid thing and he couldn't really get past it. Wow. Um, it I kinda, saw him he, perform. He, he, he was and then he, years him ago. and uh, him and Richard Richard uh, Little Richard had this crazy fucking beef. Where they were like <laughs> they were like they, they were like they were like always like asking who can headline the shows, and I remember like it was always like they would play shows together. And it was like who's who's the headliner. And um, at one point, either he or Richard just set the whole piano on fire yeah. and like walked off stage <laughs> because they opened for one of them. And then um, I think they became friends in the end. Like in the 80s, they did a song together, but there was like a beef. That's gangster, bro. Yeah, because they were both like these piano rocking Southern dudes. And then... Oh, yeah, man. He's from Faraday, Louisiana, actually, I think. Yeah. I saw him about five years ago, actually, at his daughter sang a couple of the songs, but he would come out for like every other one. They would kind of wheel him out, you know? Piano on fire and played it. Show story, Jerry Lee Lewis set piano on fire, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the good old days, man. When you do a show and you're so mad, probably fucking drunk as fuck, and you're cutting, you're, I don't know what kind of drugs you're doing, but then. Quaaludes or something, yeah. you know? You've you see, you seen Walk Hard, that movie with uh, John C. Riley. Yeah. Uh-uh. Oh my, you gotta watch it. It's one of the fucking best music documentaries of all. It's fake, but basically John C. Riley does everything, like invents country, invents like punk, invents like he just he's Brian Wilson in the world. It's like the Forrest Gump of yeah, Forrest Gump. But he's like he, they kind of do the Johnny Cash song, the Johnny Cash movie, Walk Hard or Walk Tall, Walk Tall, and they call it, it make fun of that. But John C. Riley does every genre and like is this crazy country guy and has like a hundred kids by the end of the movie. <laughs> does every drug yeah by the end of the movie. Dude, in that, those days, you were pulling up in town and somebody, they literally, somebody would say, hey, these are drugs. And it would just be like almost. The movie's so funny because everybody's like, he walks into the back room and is, um, what's that? What's the black comedian, that SNL guy was uh, Tim Meadows. Tim Meadows, every time he walks in the backstage, Tim Meadows like smoking weed. He's like, what are you doing? Tim Meadows like, it's marijuana, man. You don't want to do this. <laughs> it make, what, he's like, what does it do? It makes you feel happy and it mellows you out and you feel great. You don't want to do this. He's like, I think I want this marijuana. And he does that. And then the next like 10 years later, he's like, what are you doing? And he's like, it's called cocaine. It's like, what does it do? He's like, I don't know, man. It's, you don't want this. It makes you feel great and excited. I'll try the cocaine. <laughs> he's like heroin. Then like three years later, and it's just like every, every And it's not addictive at all. Oh, and he looks like he looks like Jim Morrison in the picture. Look at that photo. Oh, bro, you got to watch this movie. It's my favorite movie of all time. Wow, dude. No, I got to watch it. I just watched Uncut Gems last night. That's and, dark. Bro, it was good, though. I wanted the guy to die so bad, man, because he just wanted the pain. This, yeah, he, he was just, a, he's was, an addict, and every there's no in every way, way there's no way this is gonna end well. You just know, like, you, got, you want him to get back with his wife, then you, but the the side girl was hot, and then <laughs> you want him to win, but you know you're never gonna win, and then yeah, and then you want and him then, whole, then, he, then he does, and then you're like, oh fuck, this came together, and then he dies. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, spoiler alert, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, the last gem gets cut. <laughs> but the, what's awesome about that movie, bro, is the fucking soundtrack is phenomenal and i think it was um, a unique way to do a soundtrack it yeah. wasn't it was sound that i felt was, like this is my perception it was sound that made me feel uncomfortable yes and it made me f it, it was like sound that tried to get me just through small sounds yeah. and repetitive beats to get it's, me feel a certain way one of my favorite musicians of all time is Hans zimmer and i love blade runner and the new blade runner i loved even more and the soundtrack was so fucking amazing i love ambient music and i love that kind of like futuristic music and the guy who did the soundtrack I think his name is 10 Point Tricks. This is ambient guy. And he just, the fact that the director went with that guy to make a movie and he just, it's so, it felt so wrong that when he, when he, it's in the movie, this, the weird, like, 
sense, but then you just yeah. it really puts you on edge on the on the right level for you to be uncomfortable watching that movie. Yeah. Yeah, I never felt like that. I never felt like what's I'm watching the movie, I'm enjoying it, but also something else is happening to me. Yeah. And what is it? What is causing that? And yeah, yeah. it was just the, it was the because soundtracks are really uh, difficult to do and like to make because you have to watch the film and like put it in. You know, you gotta kind of cl- get, get closure with the whole film coming together with the sound. And that guy, he crushed it. I love that. I love that. I love the soundtrack more than the film. Actually, when I listen back to it. Have you been pushed to do soundtrack? Have you done it before? No, nah, but that made, that movie made me want to do it Ooh, because I um during quarantine I haven't really worked on a lot of new music. Mm-hmm. I've been putting out this some of the country stuff and working on some house music, but I just don't don't first you don't want to do sessions because this isn't really you don't really want to get anybody uh you know sick or whatever you don't want to get sick. But then I don't feel like you can't really sit down during this weird time. It feels a little more like less heavy than it did in March and April now. Even though it's technically worse, I guess, with some yeah. other cases, but yeah, the vibe is a little different now. It's yeah, not as it doesn't uh, feel as a uh, anxiety dr- attack feeling. You know, like you don't feel like you feel like there's some end, there's gonna be ending right. in sight. Some, pe- like. some people are getting out of it, like New York City, for instance, beat this thing. You know, so we can do it. Um, but in the beginning, I was like, I had like a lot of anxiety attacks. I just felt like weird. You don't want to like write a song about like a love song. You don't want to feel. You can't write a pop song during all that vibes. The energy is not right. So. I was writing a lot of ambient music. I was just like doing stuff with synths and making these records that were just like spacey and like no drums. And I did a whole EP that I'm gonna drop at some point that I just made. That's the only thing I've done during quarantine is like that kind of music. Just sounds. Yeah, sounds like oh. kind of, but you gotta, it's like kind of classical music, but with synths. Like, I mean, that's kind of what uh, neoclassical music and ambient music is. It's like you you put chords together and you kind of build things up with like arpeggiators. And then you, like, you know, Brian Eno at all? Mm-mm. You heard him? He produced, um, U2's Joshua Tree and he's like an ambient artist but he kind of combined these new ideas with sound with pop records back in the 80s and it's amazing I would consider him a composer um, but it's like yeah it's like being a composer I guess doing this kind of music I've just been that do you get like a little bit jealous whenever you see somebody like do something like a loophole or something or kind of like I mean, start to see the new thing you're like oh yeah I mean that's how you work on music I've just been I'm a producer uh, more than an artist you know I think with this with the country album it's the first time I've done like full artist record on a major label but before that i've always just been like beyonce want a record usher wants a record you know a rock band wants a record or i work in the studio with different writers and propose ideas and i come up with concepts that's what a producer does you kind of like you work with an artist and you think like even with riffraff you're like how can i make what i like about this guy how can i make the best version of him mm. that's what you do with anybody maybe it's madonna maybe it's uh adele whatever it is you know you aim for the biggest records and big artists then you work with someone like riffraff because you're just like this is fucking awesome like this is something really cool and i love what he does or sway lee and you you know you can find new artists too but as a producer your job is to create concepts and you know maybe not even writing the piano like you can be like rick rubin and just sit back and just like fine-tune that idea with the chili peppers or whatever. but is it hard to figure out though like i sometimes i find even for myself from doing comedy and doing pot, just different types of things within the world yeah. is it hard to figure out what what some of your real strong suits were and then to focus on those even if those went against like yeah like sometimes somebody you know i mean i was going to be the star sometimes but then you're like oh man but i'm so good at this but yeah. that the, this weird idea of a star always I've never been really good at anything, even playing music. I mean, I've always been like, like I said, I would come up with like weird. I find the the, the loopholes where the, no one was doing stuff. Like Major Lazer started because like no one was making this like reggae and dancehall music, you know. And I had done stuff with this girl in MIA who was like my girlfriend at the time. We made amazing records. Oh damn, dude! And then I went to MIA. This is just because it's full circle, really quick. I the first I saw John C. Riley at an MIA concert 
in New Orleans at the it was it started at like the House of Blues. No, this was in like a warehouse or something. It's, it was like four a.m. It started, but so anyway, you, it's the only time I've ever yeah. seen John I C. Riley. I, was, I wonder yeah. if I was there because I DJed for a lot of her shows back in the, those days. But we did this fusion. She was an artist that really put me on to like how far you can go with just ideas. And she had these ideas, and she fucking crushed it. And I I learned a lot from her. And I think we started like this major laser thing because I was like, no one's doing this. We can do it in a different way, like dancehall records and reggae, because no one's doing it. And it took a while. We made some big records, and and then it grew. It just, but it was something no one was doing. Yeah. And then back then, no one was even streaming music. You know, we had we we, we worked really hard in the streaming services because a lot of the majors were not really pushing streaming. They were still fighting to sell physical copies. And I did it all independently. We did it on our own. And um, I learned a lot from there. But I think you find little projects like that people don't do, and sometimes you take risks and they don't work. Like I, I, my first album, I produced was a band called um, Rolo Tomasi. And it was a fully metal math rock band. I didn't know what I was doing, but I just did it because I got it. That was my first job. And then the next day I was working with Bruno Mars. And we Damn. were doing like, he was a songwriter back then. When I first moved to LA, I just did whatever jobs I had. You just make your way up to where you could hopefully place a big record with somebody. And you need to learn a lot. Like I learned everything from coming to LA and leaving behind the idea of being an artist and being like a, a producer in the game here. And then and then as I got better at that, I was like, kind of got sick of that. Like I don't want to write records with other people. Right. And I started doing my own little projects and then, and just being creative. Yeah, because, you know, doing a project, writing the music is, for me, I think it's like 20% of the project. The other 80% is coming up with the concept and the marketing and, like, what it is, video things. Like, you think about the name, the, the style, the way you're going to dress this project. You kind of come up with these, you create the artists. And that's that's 80% of what artists are nowadays, huh. for, in my opinion. You have to come up with, with like, a, a real brand, right. you know? And that's what people get first. And the music comes secondly. Like when you see someone like this fascinating, you're like, oh, what is this? And you dig into it and you're like, oh, the music's Riff all right. is a great example. Yeah, he's all brand. I mean, he was just like, his music's great too, but it's it's all brand. But another, like Marshmallow, another guy, you know, like uh, he's a DJ and I think, you oh, know, yeah. he's, he, he's that, like, he might be like 90% brand because he's just like, the concept is so strong what he does. It's so easy to identify with. And um, then he puts out quality music as well. Like he's pop artist, but I mean, he, no other DJ could do that because they're just another guy. Yeah. He's a Marshmallow. So it's like- right. Kids can gravitate to that really easy, and I think what he did is a, a great marketing campaign from the from the jump. His manager and him really crushed that. Yeah, him and Kane Brown have that great. Uh, yeah, they got a country record. That great song. Yeah. Um, you so know, I, I had that record originally. That he sent it to me. Really? <laughs> I was like, I actually was like texting Kane. I was like, man, we, it was like me and Marshall fighting for that record actually in the beginning because it was going to be something for my project, and then um, I lost the battle. Oh, it's whatever. Kane Brown, you still owe me a record, bro. Where there are you, you at? go. <laughs> There you go, so Kane Brown, man. I love Kane Brown. Yeah. Um, you know, New Orleans, when I was growing up, the the a lot of the artists that were there were like the big timers and uh you know, uh Lil did you Wayne. That, did you watch that hip hop uh, evolution, the New Orleans episode? Uh uh-uh. uh. Fuck, I need to see great. this whole. I'm gonna rewatch this whole episode and write down all the things. I the need the to one in New Orleans out. starts with like Master P, and I mean New Orleans for me, bro. It's the first of all, I think Memphis in has the longest. Uh, cultural significance in hip-hop right people can argue me but like when you think about what music sounds like now hip-hop it all comes back to this memphis sound like this aggressive this dark and the trap beats and like it's just lasted forever and it was a small flash in the pan when three six and like eight ball and mjg were doing it and then new orleans was like the same kind of sound they had this like electronic drum sound they like loved electro and they loved like many freshers making you know like these kind of like 808 sounds and they mixed it with the second line jazz and then big timers and then Master P came up with the idea of independent label and he fucking crushed it. And then uh, Cash Money came out and then and they had this amazing bounce music, which I love so much. Well, and that's what I was going to get to is yeah. the bounce scene 
because uh yeah like big frida like some of the artists she's yeah. the most popular but the bounce scene there has, has been probably the biggest thing that's come out of new it's, orleans it never in a left while. and it's, it's the same right you know, frida uh i was i worked with this um i worked with a couple bounce artists there's flyboy kino there's sissy nobi and it's it's very gay it's crazy people don't yeah. realize how gay the hip-hop scene in new orleans is um a lot of the rappers and labels you know you talk to like uh mystical or like um, i love mystical man these I guys car wash once i was with uh, i was with mystical in the studio no and uh, after i got out of jail and i had just done this record called express yourself with um nikki the b who was another gay bounce artist from new orleans and um it's like my fusion of like dance music and new orleans bounce back then and i remember playing it for mystical in the studio and i was like man could you jump on this it was super gay and the video was gay too and i was like can you jump on this record and you know mystical said to me he's like Bro, that's hard. And that's actually New Orleans music. And he knew that's like, that's actually the scene. He wasn't like uh, homophobic or anything, but he's like, man, I just can't come out of jail and do a, like this record right now. You know, I can't, be, like, <laughs> right. I can't really like do a verse on a, on a gay bounce record. But um, he'll be like, I'll be right back <laughs> in jail. <laughs> he's like, a whole group of new he's like but, but at the same time, he had respect and like knew that that's mm-hmm. like real New Orleans music. Cause if you, you don't realize, like, even the, you know, Big Frida's in that record with, with, uh, with, with Drake. That came out last year. I don't even know that. The down because Drake's last album had a lot of bounce influences, a lot of New Orleans records on it. But there's not, there hasn't been a, the, there hasn't been a strong hip hop's been the only or bounce has been the only real music to come out of that area. Kind of, I feel like there's that it's one interesting rock band in the nineties. Oh, you mean uh, th- third, uh, third, uh, three no, doors down, something like that. I used their studio when I worked on music with them. Oh, I know you're talking about they're nice guys too. Yeah, um, that's the only other thing I know from New Orleans really. I remember running through the wet yeah. grass, falling a step behind. I think and there's another, there's a jam band from New Orleans too, but I forget. Best. Uh, <laughs> also, the meters, bro, you know them? Oh, dude. The One of them owns a freaking yeah. restaurant where I, where I take my stepdad all the time. And, and I mean, if you, you want to learn, for me, meters mm-hmm. is funk and country completely mash you might just think they're funk but they're like country bro and they're instrumental like meters are like my they're like one of my biggest influences of all time like they're so dope like a new orleans funk is just like if you want to learn about music new orleans is the birth of all all american music in my opinion wow like everything comes from new orleans Mm -hmm. you know from the history of like it's a perfect combination of african music uh and european music and go back no that's not them <clears throat> three doors it's not three doors it's, it's third like eye that. blind dog something <clears throat> it's got one it's like a one word name oh we might be thinking just look at look at indie band new orleans maybe indie band indie rock new orleans but there hasn't been do you think there's a reason why there hasn't been a strong hip-hop artist that's come out of there in a while i mean you think there would be so uh well there's like well, there's is it nba young boy from baton rouge is no, that his name i'm is not that? sure he might be the biggest. Oh, there's also there's Kevin, Kevin Gates. Gates. Yeah, NBA Young Boys from is he from Baton Rouge? I mean, he's like one of the biggest forms. Like lo, lo, low key, yeah, yeah, Baton Rouge. He like low key. He's one of the biggest figures in hip hop, and I don't even know one NBA Young Boy song, but like he just every girl knows him and knows his music. He just is yeah, always love him. And Boosie, but he he lives Boosie, in Atlanta yeah, now. Yeah, Boosie is that guy just came out of jail. Like he was like. He missed all technology and then oh, just came. Wasn't it so great? He and he denied it. I asked him because he came in. I asked him. I said, "Did you think that because you were in jail, you missed kind of like the evolution of technology? So you came into Instagram and were just way too real." On he it. was so but real. He, I mean, get, he didn't. It didn't register for him. But I thought that's exactly what I because I, I heard a story that he got out and his like friends gave him an iPhone. He's like, "What is this?" Like he was like, it was like literally came out of jail. And like went from it was he missed the 
the the, the clutch parts of technology yeah, and hip hop, yeah, yeah, and totally. just came back like insane. Like he's a legend, though. Anybody you come back to him, a lot of people like if you do like that dirty hip hop, he he's the guy. And yeah. that's I don't know much about Baton Rouge. I mean, I only went there once to um, I actually went to Lil Boosie. I did a uh, I was in Baton Rouge for like my birthday. I had nothing going. On. I was in New Orleans for my birthday when I like, like turned like twenty four. I just went by myself to like read and just I love Louisiana. Just like go to bars and stuff. And I had a friend there, and we went to see. Boosie did a concert at a mall in Baton Rouge. Damn. And I went and saw him before he went to jail. And that's the only time I've ever been in Baton Rouge was to go see Boosie that's at a mall. Awesome. So, Man, we had so I much fun. I fucking love him. <clears throat> Dude, when he left, it was one of the first times I ever felt like, man, I wish he was still here. <laughs> like he, I'd be scared as fuck to hang out with him. <laughs> well, here's what, but <laughs> I would have not even like. I should have told you before <laughs> he came in, bro. I would, he, I would I'd be so scared. Glenn Davis was on. He's a basketball player, big baby. He played for the Celtics, and he yeah. came on. He's like, now Boosie's he, a real gangster, man. Yeah. He said he's one of the last. Big baby played. He played for the Clippers for a while. Yeah, he, and he played for Florida University of Florida. Oh, he played at LSU. LSU. Yeah, there's another guy, Demetrius. Demetrius was another big giant center, like fat. Basketball player, it was called the Meat Hook. I remember uh, him. Oh yeah, uh, I forget his name. I yeah, thought, who was that guy? Cause Big Baby was a was not. He didn't look athletic, but he was a Clipper. Uh, we loved him. He when he scored points, we were just the crowd went crazy for people him. People love him. Well, he's extremely lovable. He has such a yeah. good. Uh, he does not look like a basketball player, honestly. No, but he, he's seventy five percent heart. You know, Dimitri Hill is <laughs> Dimitri Hill. He was big too. I remember watching him play. But he loves being. He lives in Las Vegas now. He loves being. Actually, he just hit me up after Dustin Poirier won that fight, and they ended up connecting. Man, oh, there you go. Yeah. No, that's. Is that the meat hook? Is that that's Demetrius? He played for Gators. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, that's him. He was a big boy. Dang, it's always fun when you see them big boys yeah. do it, huh? It's always fun, man. Do Shaq you, was big too, but he he ended up he wasn't really that muscle. He was he's but he's built like a big giant human being. A lot of college, the centers are not like that. Not well. It's, yeah, they really don't have that center position anymore. Shaq in college, we get throw up a picture mm. of Shaq at LSU. He was lean at yeah. LSU, man. He was long. I mean, and lean. Who, uh, who's that uh, Lakers player? that's just like cut. I don't think he plays for Lakers anymore. Maybe Rockets. Uh, uh, Dwight Howard. He just like oh, the yeah. first like buff basketball player. He's a model. I feel like I always yeah. felt like he's more of a model. Yeah, look at the little baby Shaq. I mean, you look at young Shaq. Man, I DJ with Shaq sometimes. He's like the, really, he, yeah. He's I played his podcast this weekend. He did like a stream, and he just this guy is fucking dedicated to DJing, bro. And he fucking loves it. He's a dubstep DJ, and he's most aggressive DJ I've ever seen in my life. He just goes <laughs> he dances in it. Before quarantine, every show he did, he would go out in the audience and hang out with everybody in the audience, and he just could see him. He's like towers over everybody, but he's just like. What is it you think that he that he that he just he, he really loves doing it, or he loves the have vibe? You ever, have you ever hung out with him? Ever heard? Ever uh -uh. talked to him? Because he's just happiness, bro. He just loves. He just found a lot of like contentment and like happiness after the game. I think he became you know he's on a sports commentator oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah, just he's just smart and awesome. Look at this guy, bro. The crowd. He's just, <laughs> I love it. That's so crazy. Outside lands, like he was one of the most aggressive DJs ever. Look at him. He can't even fit in the wow. booth. Dude, so that's what it looks like when you're in there, huh? Yeah, I don't look like that, but it looks. Well, yeah, I mean, you look small. <laughs> I'm like, you're I'm smaller. I'm tiny. Yeah, in there, yeah. um, does it almost feel like sometimes like, like I notice on stage if I'm doing stand-up, I, I can feel a crowd. I can feel what's going on it's almost yeah. like at some points it took a long time but i feel like it's like I'm that's like, when you get in the pocket like i'm when an orchestra yeah, like when i'm you're, when you're good too at that point you can just like you said like then you just flow right it yeah, must yeah. just feel right that yeah yeah well i can there's a con, but there's an energy connection there's a in the beginning it's this nervous other energy where yeah. it's like i'm trying to make sure i'm doing my job yeah and then later it becomes this energy where it's like 
oh, I'm I'm orchestrating the 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 feeling of this environment. Yeah. Does it? What is that? What is that feeling like when you guys are doing your job? I think when you DJ, it's always it's it's even more than stand up. You have to really feel the rhythm of the crowd. I even pick the records you're playing. I mean, I'm a more of a I'm more of an open format DJ, so I can I kind of do whatever. I, I kind of improvise. A lot of people just go to their concerts and they kind of the set list. set list. You know, right. and I I do that when I'm headlining somewhere because I have to program my lights. Um, but mostly I'm in Vegas. I'm like doing three hours. I'm just like looking at the crowd and playing records I want to play and then going where I'm trying to go there. Like, you know, with the jokes, maybe you go, maybe it's not funny, but you want to push right, something right. around. Okay, or yeah. maybe, even with controversy, which is probably hard, really hard for, for comedians. I mean, you must walk the line now, but you want to go as controversial then you pull back, whatever. So I think with, with me as, as a DJ, you still, you want to like sneak things in and like, okay, that's what, that's what, that's what DJs, that's what we've always been. We've always been the people to, push the boundaries we're the we're the we're the we're the the purest form of the distribution chain like music happens and we're the ones that give it to people in a nightclub or somewhere where they can feel the music for real like because right. you can't really feel it in your car on the radio you might get pop records but we we make dance music and hip-hop to where we are our job is to is to push it as far as we can to be the best djs well it's interesting yeah, it makes me think almost like if i'm in a supermarket you got the area where everything's like in the boxes and it's all yeah. boxed and packaged perfectly for you then you got that produce area and that's and shit's wild, a little, wild yeah, west you, you know. might find an orange in the fucking cucumber <laughs> yeah. area that's know? the real food yeah, yeah. You, but you know i grew up my sister i remember going to eat at her house like when i was back in town and she only eats canned vegetables because we grew up like that and mm -hmm. she has oh. it's and i don't it's always like the Publix cans or like fucking uh what's the other shitty ass albertson's or piggly wiggly and she just does never been to the produce section wow she didn't know what it is you know she didn't know what a green bean looks like it was like unless it's, <laughs> yeah. unless it's wet in a fucking can unless it looked like it's been <laughs> yeah. through I it looked like her, it's been in guantanamo a green bean in a real one she's like what is that thing and i was like she's like green beans look like this and i'm like okay my family would just only ate out of cans. I don't know what. And my mom. Well, I think it was just that time period too. Yeah, it was a can, and I think it produce isn't. It, yeah, you know what? Produce section didn't really exist in like the eighties. It wasn't, man. Real, you might get some app bag of apples or whatever, a bag of apples. You yes. weren't going to select your own apples. No, you just, that's no. Yeah, yeah. The government's going to select those apples yeah, for you. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, man, those apples, dude. Yeah, those apples knew each other before they got yeah, yeah. here. You know, I'll be damned if you're gonna feel. You're not gonna. Them. You're yeah, not gonna. Yeah. No, no, back the fuck away from those apples. Here's your bag, motherfucker. <laughs> Damn, dude, that's so I just true. Man. As, a, as an adult growing cropping, I'm like, I always go to the produce and like buying shit. But when I was younger, you never. Mom didn't let you go over there. Yeah, it was. That's different. for the liberals, sir. <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> the Democrats go shopping yeah. for the for the produce section. What's that man over there feeling on that couch? Yeah. <laughs> doesn't he? Why doesn't he have a wife? Nobody needs to pick their own pineapple. That's <laughs> we, government does that for you. Let's get a question right here. All right, what's this guy talking about? Oh, now he's driving. Oh. I got something going on in the background. Is he singing the demo? <laughs> <laughs> got a good voice. We will sign that. That would have been a great idea. Sounds like Shawn Mendes. Let's go. Now you're remixing what podcasts. Up, what up, Diplo? Hope you guys are doing great. Hey, real quick, Theo, I'm sporting my Wildcat hitter. Bear down, baby. Bear down. Uh, Diplo, I just had a question for you. Um, would you ever consider doing a fresh banger with our boy Takashi69 now that he's out of... Uh, out of jail and all. Um, I know Theo would love that. I, so, uh, huge, yeah, let us know. I'm a yeah, huge yeah, 6 9 yeah. fan, honestly. His music, bro, he puts the music out and I wait for it. I'm, I even show up at the time yeah, he tells me to be I'm, on if the if Instagram. He, if he's having a, a Instagram live, I gotta stop the car and watch <laughs> it. I mean, honestly, he's the first... 
just the fact that he broke down. I mean, I just love him just for being just the fucking biggest punk ass there is. Like, oh, it's yeah. just like, I'd love all that. And I love that he hip hop had this like kind of, ha- it was kind of boring now. Like, it's kind of like there's the older guys, they don't go away and they kind of like talk about the same shit. And, and I they're think, beef and bullshit. Yeah. And, he, and he, they're all bullshit beef. And he's actually just fuck you. Yeah. And fuck you. Here's your, here's, here's a picture of you being a bitch. And like, yeah. he's not scared of anybody. And I just love that he just, kind of deconstructed hip hop in a way and people are like no one can kill him it's like impossible I don't know he came and bothered the guy and I just yeah, think, how can you not kill him he's wearing the brightest color yeah. shit in the whole world and he just has all these like yeah, he always talks about I'm rainbow hair guy and you what the fuck why are you mad at me like I mean I just love that he and he and he, and he didn't hit the number one with that with this with that first single out of jail and then he um, learned how to do it and he did the you know tie it in with the sales of the clothes and the physical and just it's all like fucking hack at this point and he just yeah. hacked it and he like he learned from it and got the number one and everybody Fuck everybody. I love the actual fuck you to everybody that he did and he came and did it. Yeah. So I love him. And I would I'd love to work with him. I know his, I know him, um, his his uh his label head really well. We worked on ideas back before he went to jail and um I haven't connected with him since then. But uh I'm also not really doing hip hop right now, but I would do something with him just because I love him as an artist. Yeah. And it's controversial. People probably like tell me that that sucks, but I just I fucking fuck with him hard. Yeah. Yeah. No, I feel you, man. I do too, dude. I'm like and I love how there's all these haters that he's against. It's almost yeah. like this invisible world, you know, that he's created in his it's head. It's real renegade, though, they, I think. Yeah. It is. Well, even when you said deconstructed, I'd, ne- I'd always heard people say, I'm going to deconstruct something, but I never kind of knew what they were talking about. Yeah. But just now when you said that, it, it's... There, yeah, because hip-hop has these sense. sort of like, you think about these these rules and these little things, and he just kind of like embarrassed everybody yeah. to like kind of like people had... A, people actually don't beef with him. They're scared of him now because... Like, what the fuck y'all doing, man? <laughs> yeah. I'm you on house arrest. You can't win because he'll just do whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He'll, you can't. There's no rules for him you know yeah, he, dude. He he's got <laughs> and then he gets Nicki Minaj which is crazy because yeah. they're always fighting over who's Nicki Minaj's boyfriend yeah but she she was with him on the, um, the record Fifi back in the day I think she just also loves his she's very controversial too you know she'll say whatever the fuck she wants and um, I got a record coming out with her really in Major Lazer this month and I love her and I honestly I worked with her a couple times um, and she is a fucking hard worker, bro. Is she really? Yeah, I was like never. She, I've never really been a fan. She, as a rapper, lyrically, I mean, she's like no one's, no one can touch her. I feel like. And then at the same time, like I, we did this song together, and she went back and forth. Like I'm just like small song, you know. Maybe it'll be big. She like liked the record, and she did it for me, and she likes me. I think. Um, but she just went back in the studio like four times to cut it. I didn't even ask her to. She's like, I want to change this part. I want to change this part. And oh, she wow. went like a bunch of times, asked me my. My advice on it and um a real pro she's a real collaborator and she does it like her and madonna are the two women that were just like they work harder than me and that's hard i feel like i work pretty hard so they both like it sounds like can't. you do man i wish that they could take your brain whenever you pass and just splice it into like man, it's, literally hallways do, yeah. of a library where people could walk through and see what you there might be some stuff in there man i don't know if you want to open that up man <laughs> we'll, look. we'll have a we'll have a special area <laughs> yeah i mean might, might need to define where you can some well, of them got blocked off. Those double doors. Remember at the, back in the day, they used to have a video store and they would have the double doors where the oh, pornography the porno, yeah. was? I would sneak in there all the time. Yeah, me too. Growing up in Florida, like I would go to my grandma's house. My parents would just drop me off. They're like, fuck, they couldn't afford summer camp or nothing. I had nothing to do. They would just drive me four hours to New Smyrna, this little small town, drop me at grandma's. And I could only walk in my little sand. We don't have dirt roads in Florida. We had sand roads. Wow. And I would walk fucking mile to the video store. My, my grandma would give me like $5. I would just rent every... WWF video. Yeah. I watched every WrestleMania because I never paid for the pay per views. I watched like the last five years. I was just, I watched like one summer. I watched like five hundred wrestling contests and in every kung fu movie there was. I just then I found the porn area. Oh yeah, couldn't rent those, but I would go. 
I'd go you back read there. The boxes, I go right. I go see those boxes. Yeah, oh, I read yeah. the boxes with my dick out. Can, bro. Rent, can, can you rent? I mean, just the awkwardness of like going to the and then rent, going to and then going renting them and then, then stand in front of somebody and have like a stack of like these yeah. dirty pornos. Like, but dude, there's almost more of a respect there. There's a yeah. line in the sand where you're like, okay, am I, I mean, doing this or not? Do dirt, I mean this or not? Yeah. Now it's too easy access. There's oh yeah. No, like you can be. You just, it's too much privacy. Back in the day, you, you were, you're a fucking pervert. We're gonna see. Yeah. Who, who's a pervert? Are you gonna stand outside? There's always a a sex shop too that has like the pornos and like in philly there's like this one little area they probably cleaned it up since i was living there but there was like one little area where they had like the shops where you would just go and you could just jerk off and like watch a girl behind the glass and they would do oh, things damn. there's like this like shops and then you go and there's video stores <laughs> and there's i mean new york had that shit too i, I know the that. idea of the sex the sex shops doesn't even like I guess it's not a thing anymore not full-on hookers i'm talking about like there's this area in Philly where just like and you can been, see a real woman through glass. Yeah, yeah, that, I did that in once in Amsterdam. I never seen that anywhere else though. And she would just do a thing. You can, or you, it's kind of like what a, I guess what a a chat. Uh, what's it called now? The cam girl would do. Yeah, in real, but they're, the next ones over there in Philly were probably pretty. Dude, I remember rough. this. Now you make me think of it. This one time I was in uh, Amsterdam, and so they had a thing. You go in this little cage, kind of, and everybody's glass opens up. And uh, they there's a wheel. There's like a lazy Susan in there, and it has people. And there's like a man and a woman having yeah. sex, and everybody's. Then you can see everybody's. Faces oh, you can see everybody else. I thought it, are, would, it, it wouldn't be a mirror to see. That's awkward. No, that's that's the awkward. <laughs> that's part. awkward. You're the mirror goes up. Everybody, just guys already like jerking. Yeah, and you're oh, like, yeah, oh, you all right. See it, bro. It's weird. So you realize you got you got to look right at the couple. Yeah. You can't be Oof. straying visually. And then the crazy part was everybody else's slides went down after they were done after yeah. the 15 minutes or whatever. Mine wouldn't didn't go down or something. <laughs> so I had oh, bro, another crazy. <laughs> watching the couple who are now dizzy from the thing spinning help each other off, off, off like, of the thing. Yeah. It's like when you when your kid on the, one of the little uh, fair, little Ferris with the park and you let your kid walk away and he just yeah, he stumbles like, kind of drunk. It's always a like fun. Like one of his ears has 40 yeah. pounds. Um, do you know, you've done so much with music over the years and so, especially so much, I think, with diverse. Let's get a question right here. This guy actually looks diverse. Let's get him in here. <laughs> All right, what up? Kev here from Toronto. Diplo, where'd you rather party? Trinidad or Jamaica? Soca oh, or dancehall? That's a tough one. What's it going to be? Um, okay. I'm going to say Trinidad. He's probably Trini. Looks like he's from Toronto. Has a big like Trini diaspora. But I just had a baby in Trinidad uh, with my ex-girlfriend. And um, well, she's like my, you know, she's an awesome girl. And I haven't seen the baby because I I was going to go there in March for a show and stay there for a month. And then I've been, we try a travel ban. I have to quarantine in Trinidad. Wow. And um, so I would go to Trinidad. I, have to, I need to go there as soon as possible. But the city itself, uh, Port of Spain, Trinidad is like, people don't know this, but it's kind of like this kind of, probably one of the wealthiest Caribbean countries has good surf, has this amazing music culture, but it has this crazy mashup of like, you know, European, African, and Indian, just kind of all like living there and working in this crazy music scene. Of course, Soka, they have reggae dance hall. We used to do parties there. Major Lazer had a show there every December. And it was at this water park. And it was like the craziest show we'd have. Like people on shoulders, like water flowing everywhere, like crowd doing all the different dances together. And I mean, Trinidad, it was just legendary. And I miss going there to do shows. But um, if you get a chance, check out Trinidad, man. It's a good place, for, huh? for Carnival. I think it's like in the end of February, same time, right, right before Mardi, Mardi Gras. Gras. So you can actually, I did a tour last year. I did, I did, I did, um, or two years ago, I did, I did Carnival in Brazil. I uh, had a, Damn. had a show in, I went to Trinidad to see the, see the car. I didn't have to do a show there. And then we went straight to Mardi Gras. 
and did all of the, the 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 circuit basically because it's all around the same right, holiday. Right. So what was that vibe like? Was there like obviously they must have differed from each other? Oh, one hundred percent. The 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 carnival in in Brazil is just like the Super Bowl. Right. I mean, there's like a samba drum. They have their own stadium just for the carnival floats, and it's just the music is insane. It's like the whole country parties at once. It's just so sexualized and beautiful at the same time. Everybody's so fucking happy. And then um, <laughs> Mardi Gras in, in, in New Orleans just like, just fucking trash. Like in the next level, <laughs> fucking. But we had this really Is awesome it a total party. Drop off from one of the. No, other? but I love it so much. Cause I love. I actually went to see some of the floats at, Car- at the at Mardi Gras for the first time. So I've been there for parties, and I was like, damn, these floats are awesome. Like yeah, all the beautiful. different. Yeah, they're really cool. It was such it's a artistic. lower level, but I'm like, you see, like the black community floats, and like the second line, they say like, the white people doing like the things, and they just it's. It's like the one thing where everybody's kind of is together on, yeah. the, on the side of the roads and seeing everything. And I played a party with a good friends of mine, band called Arcade Fire. You know those guys? I've heard and, of them, um, yeah. Wynn Butler is the the lead band guy, and he's he also a basketball player. And he has a party there called C- Carnival Crew. And it was amazing. It was like drag queens. And like we had um, uh, Choppa played with me. And it was yeah. like um, – he DJed and it was like a Haitian band playing Haitian Damn. music and it was like just like this really like multi it was like amazing party and um, just like the most inclusive party you could you could have in New Orleans like there's a lot of that there that's what that's that place is kind of anything that's why I'm saying like the bounce scene is, is gay um, the city itself is so DIY like kids go there like punk kids there's a lot of punk bands like in New Orleans and like punk kids they go there and they, they can get a warehouse space and they have a little commune and they build they make their own little restaurants or whatever and it's like you don't have this might sound fucked up I think Katrina might have done the most work to preserve the culture of of New Orleans because right before Katrina happened, it really felt like New Orleans was was, was destined to be this big destination and like people were buying property and hotels were coming in there, restaurants, and the Katrina just wiped out all the investment oh, like in a way and people left. There was like like four hundred thousand people in, in before Katrina and only like two hundred thousand left. Yeah, and it, and the city had to start over again. But what didn't stop what didn't stop was that all that cultural movement didn't really end and it just got bigger and more. It's isolated, you know, and you right. need the isolation kind of to build sometimes. And I think, I just think New Orleans for me is is like the my favorite place in the world to go wow. all over the world just because it's spontaneous and crazy, and, and you don't know what's going to happen. And yeah. I love that. I love that. Well, you know, it's so interesting. You talk you, you you talk about the the investment side of it. It's funny, like you know, something really unique and special can start somewhere, um, be it a festival, be it like a vibe, anything. But then eventually money comes in because yeah. they want to own stuff in the area. They want to make it bigger. Yeah. And then it kind of like, it it weakens stuff over time. 100%. You know? But it's so I'm funny because if you, but if you didn't have money in the area, but then it's it's funny because it's like we want money in areas to yeah. help. To help. Yeah. But then it's from no money yeah. that usually really beautiful yeah, things can come from art, art comes from like you know desperation a lot of times so it's so funny to just have that dichotomy it's like yeah. you like when i was young man i didn't give anything to be able to uh, for us to have some money for my mother not to work yeah. for you know to just have a little bit of time where we could have i don't know just felt like not ashamed of who i was or yeah. something you know just i don't know you know what we, we i wish we'd have had some money a little more comfort yeah but then it's like but you what, had to work what, you had to work harder to do what you do you right know what I'm saying? For, i think for me like i moved to philly 
uh, to go to university, and I had like nothing there. Did you go to like, Temple? Where'd you go to? I went to Temple, yeah. You did? Dude, Temple's fucking wild. If you get yeah. up there on, is that Front Street? What is that street? <laughs> My parents went to visit oh, me. Yeah. My parents went to visit me. It's on a Cecil fucking bird. Market and Cecil B. Moore. It's, Somebody trained a crow to drop off fucking cocaine for him up there. Oh, yeah. The drug, they, 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 run, they, run, they run drugs on birds up there, actually. People would park in the middle of the fucking street and go do what they need. But if you just there. go, if you just go, Temple is like a little bubble of like, you know, university, but any outside of that area, North Philadelphia, it just looks like apocalypse now like it's burned out buildings and Damn. like it's just it's fucking street by street just crazy ghetto from like uh from cecil b more all the way to like 40 blocks up um kind of endless like and it's it's i worked up there I worked, when i went to temple i, I ended up graduating or i didn't even graduate i, I got out my fourth year i left because i was like fuck this fuck school and i got a job as a social worker and i worked up in these high schools up there Wow, and um, it's been pretty gangster, huh? It was fucked up, man. I mean, like, back to the drugs. We were talking about. Um, I, we weren't talking about drugs, but I was talking about. It with yeah, well, I'm always talking about it in the back of my head. <laughs> but uh, the kids, yeah. the kids I was working with, were just so geeked up on Ritalin. Like they weren't even. They didn't. Even, one of the kids couldn't even read. One of my <laughs> yeah, kids, and, yeah. they, and they they didn't care. It wasn't like let's teach the kid to read. It's like give him Ritalin so he doesn't bother any other kids <laughs> in school. It was like fucked up. And these kids were just like building these. The government was actually building these drug addictions for these kids from like. It's 10 years old already Damn. and that's how you put that's how you it's just there was no there's no there's no idea to fix this fucking place they lived at and like help with their parents who are you know dealing crack on the side there's never like how do we fix this situation the kid lives in it's like just dr- give him some drugs so we can move on yeah that was like the way that the government in the city dealt with it and i did that for a little while and i just fucking quit and um wow but honestly i learned a lot from that was my hardest job i ever had was doing that doing that it was called tss it was like therapeutic staff support i went to schools with the kids and like helped like wrote notes about the kids and helped them with whatever he needed and stuff like that like one-on-one with a, with a kid for a few weeks and um it was rough to see like that that i was like literally shadowing this kid every day helping Damn. him and doing reports on what he was doing you know it's funny I, I remember growing up like one of the hardest things was like uh just the amount of poverty that there really is in a lot of the black community you know yeah. um and in, in the white community too, it's just a little bit different. I feel like, but um, I mean, there's there's so much poverty in in America still. Yeah. Like, and it's going to get worse and worse for what we have right now. I mean, just living in LA, you see the homeless situation, how insane oh, that growing. is. And to see when you move here for the first time, I actually used to take people to Skid Row just to be like, who are from Europe? I'm like, have you ever seen this something like this? Because it's like block by block, and it's like a little community there, and. Um, you know, a lot of people that are homeless in, in California are like have mental health problems where they have they actually can't exist in a normal way, and they have right. that's like the last resort for them to survive is let be homeless. But I've noticed during this pandemic, there's a there's a little I live in Hollywood, but there's like one overpass and it just keeps growing. Small little community there, and the people are younger and younger. Wow, and they're not even like. Um, Maybe they have mental health problems, but their kids are like, they're well put together. They have like some of this girls, like a punk rock girl, who's like every day she's up at like seven putting her mohawk in, but she just lives. And this tent because she, you know, when it was a stay-at-home order, she had nowhere to go. Right. Like she probably lived with her parents or whatever and like yeah. had to leave. So I think a lot of kids, we're seeing a lot more of this poverty situation happening with young people that never happened before. And I think that's not being addressed. And L.A. is just, it's a fucking lot of homeless going on here. And I think it's a and lot there's of- there's a lot of money here too, which is shocking. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting. I mean, even hearing you say about when you were doing the TSS stuff and, and that water bottle might be uneven on the bottom of it, I saw. In the fall? Yeah. Just, this has got a, what you took the, oh, I know you took the, the lap labels off. 
I don't know why we did actually Get that either. Poland Spring sponsorship. I think because it was poor, I think because we were giving out poor waters. We're gonna do Dasani from now on. <laughs> Dasani sucks. Core water okay. expensive. I, didn't, I was in, I invested in Core Water. Did you really? Yeah, in the beginning, I made a lot of money out of Core Water. I love Core Water. They sold to Dr Pepper, and I got Dr Pepper stock at the end. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I had to wait a year to sell, and I finally did. I was like, all right, now. Dude, Dr Pepper was one of the only beverages when I was growing up. There was like five beverages, and one of them was Dr Pepper. Well, Shout here's out the Dr. thing Pepper. I wanted to say. So, like, it's interesting because throughout time, it's like, yeah, they try to put different Sorry. things into communities. It's like, like you were saying, they try to, uh, you know, they'll try to diversify communities. Yeah. Like, oh, let's bust in kids yeah. from different places. Let's let's try and flood it with um, drugs. Let's use, oh, drugs will be the solution, you know. I think we're starting to realize over time that, or money, let's just try and pump mm-hmm. money. And I think money definitely helps, you know. I, you know, a lot of people talk about white privilege, and I think a lot about green privilege. I think there is some white privilege. Yeah. But I don't know if. But I know that money, like you go to, you look at a place like Atlanta, I was talking with Boosie about it, and just when you see that wealth, when you go to Atlanta and you see for the first time, I remember the first time I went there, it was just, it seemed like just like a the place where the Braves play. Right. And then over time, it's become, you see wealthy black people, yeah. and, you, and you see, oh, this is what happens when a community of people has money, they are, they live more I don't want to say comfortably like in their assets, but comfortably inside of themselves yeah. as a human, you know, like there, you don't see, I mean, I think the kids that I grew up around where it was like, yeah. you know, kids that just were just, you know, some of them didn't have parents, kids like 15, 20 years old, couldn't even read, you know, even, just, even the, even the music scene, I think coming from Atlanta recently, a lot of these kids, um, you know, when you grew up hip hop, you know, rappers came from like the lowest parts of a city or it was like they had to claw their way out to make music. And I think the last, 10 years you have kids from the suburbs yeah. that actually are like changing the game like Lil Nas X good example he's like uh, I think I'm not gonna speak on his family I think he might be middle class kid but he's like he had the opportunity to um, put his energy in something that maybe he, was, he wasn't gonna be a rapper right right See, but, like but if he wasn't middle he, class would yeah. he have been able to have that ability and then he, to and then do he that. changed the game he had like the biggest record yeah. of all time actually and I think that's something that happened because of um, you know putting people in a position where they can have a little more opportunities yeah. because at some point I'm a firm believer that anybody in America can honestly make their way up to to where they can. I know that I'm gonna have a lot more opportunities being a white guy. Right. My parents put me in a place that was made it healthier. My father, you know, he was dirt poor. He had um, no opportunities. He had to go to the Vietnam War just to get it. He was like not even have a job just to get a GI Bill to go to college. And he go to college. He was like late twenties, and he's the only person to go to college out of like whole generation of his family for like hundred years. And he and he made it. And like went to college, graduated like in the in thir- like when he was thirty or something, and got a job at a hospital. Worked his way up to have a great job at a hospital, and put me to college. Like gave me the funds to go to University of Central Florida, so he didn't spend that much money. But <laughs> but I would have never done it. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I mean, I, I can I can get a I can get a student loan now, which I suggest never doing like to anybody because I think it's the biggest sham there is. But I my dad was able to do that, and I right. think and he also maybe being white you know down south also probably helped him secure a job in different places like mississippi or um alabama but at the same time i think it's possible for anybody but we're, it's different like the road is going to be a lot flatter for for me to climb than it's going to be for a young black guy who has to go up you know high but if you're in the middle class that's you know i think the the economy doesn't really see race it's like an algorithm it sees zeros and numbers it sees numbers right, so, right? you know like i think tech funds all these things like that doesn't like they're not ra- inherently racist our our our, our our political, social, economic system in America is inherently racist. Not 
it's probably by default because it's been built that way and you can't decon- you know you can't deconstruct it that easily but right it takes time it does take time but i think yeah you said like money is going to give people more experiences that they can that they can take i mean having disposable income is you're going to spend money on music you're going to go to concerts and when we're when the economy is good actually the music scene grows a lot more and i mean mm. right now you're not going to have a lot of new music in 2020 because no one's touring people are scared to put out the records no one's writing no one's spending money at shows people so are surviving have, i mean even as you said you know yeah. it's like not a time it's a you know when people are it hadn't really been the time really to make maybe new music yeah you know um it's funny yeah i think you know piggyback on what you're saying it's like yeah when you're surviving when you have to spend expend energy surviving you don't it's hard to fantasize yeah. or to imagine or yeah. to dream or yeah. to you know it you can't it's really hard to do both like me i never had opportunity i didn't start making music till i was like 20 like really putting my energy into it so i was like tw- 19 20 most kids like they're starting like billy eilish like at 11 12 you know like i was as even as a dj i didn't put my first record out so i was like 26 and that's like that's i'm a grandpa days, yeah. you know a, a rapper if you're if you're not coming out at 16 years old now you're like yeah your grand, who yeah, who is you're old as fuck. So who's his dad? But I think, um, I think now kids have that that opportunity. Like they have a little, like I said, like SoundCloud. They don't need that. They don't need that fucking the the ceiling. They, they can they can break through. Yeah, if you have a good idea, good concepts. But right now, there's not a lot of. We're in like a TikTok generation. Like music's kind of we're only digesting 15 seconds of songs right now. Yeah. It's almost and, like you have to have that hook. Yeah, which is not to the rest of the music. I don't think a lot of TikTok records don't don't make artists though. So it's, I hope it's a phase. I don't. I'm not mad at TikTok, and I've had I've used my TikTok to my advantage sometimes. But I think a lot of the songs that come out, you get this guy has a song on TikTok that's like, shoot, I'm not gonna give examples. Like, might be have like become a number one record and still only has like you know thirty thousand followers on Instagram because no one's actually checking for the artist. They're right. just looping this moment. Right. It's about a, the influencer that's that's doing it. Yeah, I think TikTok is just like it's this weird. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it, if those people become real artists off of there. Yeah, they don't. I think it's a trend thing, but I think hopefully there might be someone that comes out of it that you're like, oh, you know, SoundCloud rap came out. I thought it was all kind of garbage, and then X X X X Temptation came out. I was like, this guy, a real artist, came out of it. Yeah, and like had like like kind of put the whole thing on his shoulder. Even at six nine, I think he came out of it. I was like, he he survived it and lasted. So, but all those other rappers that had like songs out, they're gone. You know, it's like they had like one month people played the yeah. records and it was hype, and then. Out. Do you feel like because you you know you do I mean you know you really love to experience different cultures it seems like and and I mean and you talk about it, it's at the forefront of your communication you know like do you feel you know a lot of people get accused of cultural appropriation yeah. and stuff these days which you know it's it's a huge discussion topic really yeah. but I feel do you uh, but sometimes it's you're more of a liaison for cultures i feel 100 like. i'm a cultural appropriator i mean like i think that's do you feel that i, I think do you, i mean I you really I, feel I, that way i just don't think there's anything wrong with it like even right. if, even if even just me doing country music i'm a pro, i wasn't like you know i'm starting doing country music right, at 25 at a fucking rodeo yeah, yeah like i wasn't born like yeah. I, don't, I don't i don't belong yeah you weren't in dallas buyers club or something <laughs> so it's not yeah. like yeah, it's not dallas that would be pretty epic <laughs> yeah. but like i think anything you do culturally like i don't think what what am I supposed to do? Like what defines me? Yeah, what am me? I supposed to do? Exist. I, in a I place grew up in Mississippi. I mean, I, I Florida. Am I supposed to like ride an alligator or you know just like <laughs> yeah, work yeah. at Walgreens? I don't know. There's not any. I don't think anybody should be defined. And if you if you put rules on culture and music, you're setting yourself up for like constricting anything, any ideas. Of, I mean, right. someone should said Lil Nas X. You know, you're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to make country music. Um, I'm actually. I started doing like more random 
music earlier in my career to where if I started doing like Major Lazer now, I would probably would never have flown, you know, like, or if I did like, I look back at like my video, my bounce video for Express Yourself, this New Orleans, I can never make a video like that now, like girls twerking, I'm like the only white guy in the video and like I'm DJing, I'm like in downtown New Orleans. I mean, like I look back and like that was a moment that couldn't happen now because there's like rules and regulation to that. Um, is there, uh, I, I think, yeah, I'm a lazy, I'm, as a producer, I'm just, that's always been my job. I've been fascinated by music. Right. The people that, that that inspired me, someone like David Bowie. You know, he did funk. He did, you know, he did glam. He did like folk music. His biggest hit was like "Let's Dance" with Niles Rogers. I mean, it was like full on like the guy who did Chic. I mean, he just and no one ever said like he's you know culturally appropriating something. He just was an artist. Right. I mean, art is art. Um, yeah, and you have to be influenced. Like yeah. you have to be influenced by things. I mean, my favorite. Uh, Richard Pryor is my favorite comedian. Chris Rock's my second favorite comedian. Yeah. And my other is this guy named Jerry Clower, actually, who's out of Yazoo City, Mississippi. I'll have to send you some of his stuff, man. Yeah. You've literally, since you've sat here, it's made me wonder if I can listen to so much more music. <laughs> I mean, I think with music, also, we I owe a lot. Like A, a band like The Clash is probably like my biggest influence um, because they started with punk. They did reggae. They did hip-hop. And they had a record, my favorite record of all time might be Rock the Casbah, which is like political. It's a dance record. It's beautifully done. It's produced really well. And um, if they came out today, people have been like, what are, you, what are you doing that for? You know, like, what are you doing? But I think that argument, I've been hearing that argument about culturally appropriating music for like 20 years. And yeah. I just don't go away. People listen to my music. If they like it, they like it. I hope that my music um, affects you to where you want to listen to it. And you're like, oh, I love this. I love this country. Even with the country stuff, I mean, Nashville's not fucking with my country music sometimes. And I think right. you listen to it, they're like, uh... But if a kid, like, you know, I'm making it for that 14-year-old kid driving around. Like, I don't, he, doesn't, he doesn't think about, like, the rules when he right. listens to my music. I'm like, oh, this isn't supposed to listen to that, you know? Um, and in fact, he probably doesn't want to listen to the and I think he shouldn't. his parents listen I think he to. shouldn't, but I think he should have a lot of education on music because I, am a, as a DJ, I've been in, I know so much about music. I think yeah, that's, my, like that's it, my only, that's the only thing I've done. So I know where I came from. I know that um, I'm, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for black music, even like black and gay music when it comes to house records. Um, I know where the roots come from and I know to show support and love when I can to those people because that's actually my, that's what I can do for those people who are in the scene. Like if it's like I'm a young black DJ, I'm going to fucking book him over the, another young white DJ just because, or if it's a young woman, because that's something I can do. Right. And that's actually important. If I can make music and get to a position where I can help other people make more music, well, it that's seems like the you best try to do, to do that. I mean, it seems like you try to do that with your label. Yeah, hundred percent. Is it? But is it? It does get hard to juggle though, doing your own and then also being a producer. Does it hard to get? Is it hard uh, to juggle not really. Both? I think that um, I used to just always like a good example like Beyonce. I always re- mark a record for Beyonce or Rihanna, and if they wouldn't take it, I would make it my record. You know, I worked to make it for them because those are the two artists I was like, I was constantly you know the manager like, can we hear some ideas? And I would focus on that, and then I would never get the record done for them. But I would just <laughs> I'd be like, hey, I made this great record that they didn't take, like. Good stories like Lean On, my biggest probably record I ever made um, with Major Lazer was written for for Rihanna originally. And the story is I played in the studio and she just was like, not what fucking with it. it. Wow. And um, but blessing because I own the re- master of that record, you know, and like I made like shitload of money and and the, and the record reached a lot of people and I'm, I was proud of it. And we made a video in India actually, damn, with like no, so with like cool. no money, like seventy five thousand dollars. And then if I made that video today, people would have fucking it would have been canceled, you know? Cause like, I love India. We're just like, we're just chilling in India. I had a show there. I played for all these kids. I was like, let me just spend the money I made at the show on the video. And, in in, you know, here, and we had the, a girl came out and the video, it's actually nice and awesome. You know, it's, it's a vibe. People are going to criticize it. I mean, you're going to get criticism all the time. You're going to yeah. get haters. Well, I've had hard. it for so long. 
It's just, hard, man. It's hard not to. And especially these days, I even worry more about comedy. It's like, how can I talk about stuff? How can I yeah. try and share, you know, my truth or share like, you know, what my story is or even what my thoughts are Yeah. without being like I think like, sarcasm is, a lo- is lost. That sucks for comedy because yes. sarcasm is a fucking art form, right? And I, I think... And people don't fucking get they don't they don't they don't even take a time to like realize it and then you get stuck on like the, the quotable or whatever and then you're you get fucked on something that you don't you're not listening to the context of my joke or whatever. And I think that's comedy should be indifferent to that, but it's never Yeah, I don't know how it how it gets back to that. Because yeah, it's like my first net my first Netflix special is it's a, a lot of it is real tongue in cheek. It's almost yeah. like a character, you know, in a weird way. And yeah, some people take it verbatim and it's like, Oh, but you don't see what I'm doing. You yeah. don't see what's going on here you know but yeah sarcasm is is it's, really it's hard you have to be if you're gonna go see a comedian you have to give him artistic license i think as a fan you should and uh, if something happens and you in the person in the it's taken out of context dig into it and that person can defend themselves too i think it's it's fair enough but um you should be careful because you if nothing else i think cancel culture is pretty fucking whack but if nothing else it does help to take away some of the things that shouldn't be done right so but I think we're going to survive this and people are going to like what they like. If something's funny and they know it's, you know, at the end of the day, be a good person, be kind, know, be informed about things. Um, I think, but you know, when it comes to defund the police or Black Lives Matter, things like that, I'm going to talk about politics in the show. But I think if you get into it and you kind of just read a little bit, you can understand a little bit more about what this idea is, what the concept right. is. The words themselves are really scary. Well, yeah, like, it makes the, me think, I mean, if, uh, yeah, if you stay on Twitter, you're just going to get in fights. But I think yeah. if you, you know, it made me think, you know, and I see you as a big proponent of it and, you know, being out and involved. I saw you out and involved in the protests and stuff on your on your Instagram. And um, it makes it's made me think as a person and then also as a white person, what do I have differences when I look at a black person? Do I have you know, do I have different behavior? You know, it just, it yeah. started to, it's definitely made me think that. And that's and that's the best thing of it yeah, 100%. is to make me think what you know, like, am I driving past impoverished neighborhoods, whether they're black or white or any color? It makes me think like and and thinking, oh, man, those people don't have anything. Right. But then thinking, well, wh- am I doing anything in my life to help be a part of, y- you know, the solution? Like, yeah. And even as you said, like you were working as the TSS and, you know, and then they tried drugs to help with the kids. And then they try like, well, let's bus kids from different areas. That'll change it. I think in the end, it's human connection, really. Hundred percent. That 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 kids get together. I think you see South Africa. I was bringing that back up again. These young people, um, like, like these kids are like, like a, a young black guy I was talking to, and he's like, his girlfriend was white, and um, he never, he like never thought it was weird, but of course his parents and her parents probably were like scared as a little fuck. nervous. Like, yeah, yeah, like I think for them, and those are kids are going to change the world. Like those are kids that that have this new definition of what it means to be oh yeah white parents, a young person you bring a black kid over and they're like pass the bread and then like dad will be like you want me to bounce past it <laughs> like he tries to make a funny joke and you're like oh my god i mean my dad and parents like they're still but they're they, trying I, sometimes I, they're trying I, I, I root for them but yeah like the honestly what's happened all this attention on 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 information is turned a lot of like my nephews and stuff who were like actually probably borderline racist about two years ago are a lot smarter and they live in a diverse neighborhood like their high school is probably half like half white but they had to like it's like jail you had to like kind of like go you have to like fucking find your click and live with it like if you're not yeah if you're a white person to go to jail you have to join a, you have to join a white supremacy <laughs> yeah, thing immediately true. it's the only way to survive i mean it's like kind of sucks but it's like that's the fucking definition we have that's and like true, in a high school dude. same thing like kids, gay or german bro, yeah if you get in jail <laughs> gay or german so i think like we have we have that's gonna be hard to get past that you know <laughs> but i think um 
at the same time, I think my my nephews like I talked to them a little bit. I'm like, why do you write something like that on Twitter? Because I I was like I was like kind of concerned about him, and then like I had to kind of explain to him like not in a attack him way, but I'm like, you know, t- kind of think about things, and you know, I think um, it helps. It's just like conversation, like literally, it's hard because there's so much misinformation. Like honestly, because we just it's it's in it's not really in our face when we see the problems that we just kind of cover them up. So right. It's up to everybody. You just got to learn. I mean, if you go to yeah, school, it's up and to you, everybody to learn. Yeah, you got to learn. And it's, and, but yeah, and I think sometimes I even feel like attacked as a white person. It's like, well, is it, you know, some people don't want to talk about, you know, equality or talk about, some people also are, they just want to be controlling and they, you know, so you have to, it's hard to like kind of, you know, it's just, it's tough. It's a tough balance because it's a lot tough of, a lot of people res- are just, it's tribal. You know, people feel like this right. is my tribe. I'm white and I have to, def- I have to fight for this or whatever. They don't realize like that's and black too. I yeah. Mean, same thing. And people think, and I think that's what, you know, we're in this position, um, you know, and, and when, when Trump, he, his whole campaign is like based on division. He doesn't have a campaign stance, you know, I'm right. not going to endorse anybody, but I think that it's so easy for him to do that because that, that disinformation, that tribalism is what creates, any energy for him because he has no energy otherwise because right. he has no stance on anything he has like no he has like no purpose as a president he has like no He's just nothing more to stand of a shady, on. i've always seen him as a shady businessman yeah. kind of which sometimes in some aspects of a, a you know it's what a lot of america's become yeah so i'm not shocked that he's the i mean president. he's a we, we it's a but reality. emotionally he doesn't have to, he doesn't appear to have that ability to connect on an emotional level yeah. or to under emotionally understand. i love it i love when someone asked him like his favorite bible chapter oh, yeah. <laughs> he's like i'm not going to answer that I, I love the whole book yeah. old testament new testament he's like i love them equally both those like <laughs> he has no idea about he doesn't even read he never read the bible his whole life but like what black testament <laughs> white testament he's like love them both yeah he just doesn't he doesn't have any opinion dude it's almost you know it's so funny you talking about wrestling earlier everything is turned really into the wwe it's yeah. all about 15 second bits it's all about fucking wwe hype. though god damn the racial stereotypes and how crazy it was but it defined me as a kid. I learned about everything. Like there but was like I loved them. There though. was like there was like the fucking shh, there was like Sergeant Slaughter. There yeah. was the junkyard dog. There was the fucking Australian dudes. There was a fucking Chinese guy. There yeah, was a yeah, Iranian yeah. terrorist. Yeah. But even Sergeant Slaughter wasn't a good guy. He was a bad guy. It was like there was no rules. It was like Hulk Hogan became a bad guy for a while. It was like Coco Beware came yeah. in with that bird on his shoulder. Everything was like the most. They just built the stereotype yeah, so yeah. crazy. And as a kid, you like learned yeah. about everything. You learned about. It. You were like Tatanka. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's one of your favorite wrestlers. Yeah. And yeah, but that's how a lot of us learned about, dude. The only Asian. Well, he, was a, he was probably a hero to Tatanka, right? Oh, you probably yeah. love. You're like fuck oh, yeah. yeah. He's my guy. I had a, I had a hatchet that he, yeah. he would come out with a hatchet. And there was no definition. There was no good or bad. Like after a while, like everybody was bad or the good. Like he probably turned into a heel. If he was there long enough, you become the heel, right? Yeah, you become yeah, the yeah. guy that's like the evil guy. Totally. They got to spin it around. I love um, it. I got one last question I want to ask you, and I'm just trying to remember what it is in my head, real quick. Um, Tatanka. And I, and I could talk to you forever, but I just, uh, you know. Uh, Ricky uh, the Dragon uh, Steamboat, too. Oh, dude. That was the only him. Asian person that I knew he growing was. up was then Ricky Yoko, the Yokozuna came in at the end. He was the, he was the sumo guy. Iron Sheik. Iron Sheik. <laughs> I may remember Iron Sheik. Uh, he, he, he got big on Twitter because he. Yeah, he, 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 uh, he, he DM'd me sometime. He had this amazing Iron Sheik and Hacksaw Jim Duggan story <sighs> where they were like on a coke bender together and they got arrested yeah. in like Alabama or something and they were supposed to be like the arch rivals like Hacksaw Jim Duggan like the pro-American oh, yeah, guy and then him. Iron Sheik was like the like Iranian be. terrorist and they were like they partied together and then they animated the story once so they got caught by the police and they had to get they had to go to jail together <laughs> and they got caught like oh they're friends and it kind of ruined their whole fucking storyline oh, ruined the whole vibe yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Um, do you see the documentary, the Jake the Sn- uh, Did you see the Jake the Snake documentary? No, I gotta watch that. Man, it's so good. He's he no has he become governor? Uh, no, that's, that's Jesse Ventura. Jesse Ventura, Ventura, yeah. Jake the Snake. His best thing was though. Sometimes he he had to check the snake. And they would put it down below in the plane, and the cold air would kill the snake. Oh. So he would literally he had to get a new snake all the time. Or sometimes he'd bring out his bag with a dead snake in it, and it just it never oh, came out. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, he could have been an um, emotional support snake nowadays. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I bet they have those. Oh, they have those. There's a woman that had a kangaroo on a plane. They had a horse like recently. They took the horses out though. That was too crazy. Um, I love these guys. And also, you can be a fucking wrestler and be like 45 and just still be like a sex symbol. Like, yeah, I, I need those. I'm 41, so I need to like. Figure out what my next move is, man. And wear those tights, man. Do you have a, uh, you know, I look at John Mayer sometimes. They're not fit either. <laughs> like, and no, you just had to be a fucking man, <laughs> yeah. dude. They're not they're Well, not I'm waiting muscles. for some real gay wrestlers no, to come out, Oh, too. there was Goldust. Oh, I didn't even know Goldust that. was a gay, he was like borderline gay. You don't know, but you didn't even, it wasn't even like a controversial thing. <laughs> Racism, I mean, it was like, it was a, no rules, man. Well, don't you find how interesting it is Gold that. Goldust wrestler, yeah. I think. He was, on, I think it was uh, Dusty Rose's son. Mm-hmm. Don't you find it interesting how online people are one way and in real life they're a different they're different? Yeah, I mean, also uh, being online is anonymous. So you don't have to be anything; you just be fake. Yeah. People are like inherently like racist just because they want to do that. I mean, talk. That's what the kind of the online world kind of sucks. Yeah, because you don't really get a real person out there anymore. You know. Yeah, and it's funny because you would argue with someone online, but if you met with them and dis- and, t- and had the same conversation, yeah. you would not. It probably wouldn't be an argument. Also, people like you know they want to they want to stroke controversy and they like just they'll do it yeah, for retweets fun. and just to get a little hype on things like some guys some other djs right like called me out during this whole protest moment and i'm like i know the people and i'm like bro you're gonna get a couple retweets for this and i'm dm like you, you know are you gonna like this worth like not having a friendship with me anymore for this and some of them are just like yeah, you know how to cut people off sometimes like just like yeah they, they get just to get a little hype get a little retweet is like Talk to me if you have a problem, you know? Like, let's do something. Let's hash it out. Yeah, 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 let's discuss it. And here's a, here's Post Malone's son. Gang, <laughs> <laughs> gang, what's up, Steve? What's up, There's a lot of good questions. Shit. Um, I can hear it. Making electronic music. What do you think you'd be doing? Like, if that just wasn't an option, what do you think you'd be doing right now? What's funny, because that's what I was going to ask. You know, John Mayer, I've seen him do comedy before. Yeah. And he's, I thought he was extremely funny for a yeah. guy who doesn't get to get reps like everyone else because yeah. and the reason he says he doesn't is because i can't get up there at a blank slate anymore it's just they won't it's not how it's going to interact with society you know you get people get to get up and practice with a blank slate yeah I, so and i think he would have been a great comedian is there is there something else you like uh but he just didn't have enough time it's funny with life you only yeah. get really so much time i mean he he i saw him once do it at the peppermint lounge with dave Chappelle, mm-hmm. and it was one of those ones where you lock your phone up and I think it was a lot of the stuff that was on Dave's like was that Netflix Netflix special or something like two years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So he did a lot of that, a lot of that material, and it was pretty controversial. And I think he kept some of it out. Um, <laughs> some, I can't even repeat some of it, but and he had like Eddie Murphy in the front. It was like all the, it was like a, and it was wow. awesome because it was like that was like a no fucking holes barred like do whatever he wanted without the phones because you can't really yeah word of mouth he did something controversial no one cares right a video of it yeah it's like. It's 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 evidence or whatever, right? Yeah, and clubs have started doing that locking your phone. Yeah, in bags. which is which is kind of which is I think it's kind of the only way to keep keep people like that's it's your experience is here. You're not going to take this and go get a gotcha moment on a comedian or something. Yeah, but he did it with John Mayer. And it was awesome. They did like the it was very improvised. Oh, that's which cool. I think the whole thing was improvised, and that, that's scary to me. But they have reports like a podcast, I guess. Right? You just kind of. I mean, we wouldn't be very good on a comedy stage, but maybe not. maybe we we'll have to put some <laughs> yeah. practice a little bit. But uh, 
they had it. They had the, they had the chemistry, and it just works. So well, I John, awesome. I think John, but I, I just thought I feel like John is just a genius, and in, in almost yeah. he could have gotten into a couple different things, you know. But he got into music, and so yeah. that's where his creativity his, went. His his current mood is awesome, though. His little TV show he does. Oh on, yeah, it's on, great um, on Instagram Live. And yeah. he was the first guy to do it before all these. Before there was like pornos on Instagram Live, which took over, he was like <laughs> had the first popping Instagram Live, and it was really funny and very clever. And he's a fucking smart guy. He's a really smart guy. Do you? But do you see? But is there something else that you feel like, man? If I'd have had more, um, like, do you think you could have been? You know, you're a great producer. Do you yeah. think you know an entertainer, I'm, musician? I'm, I'm, do you I'm think always, you could have been something else? I'm always. A, I'm like a cultural agitator. You know, you might say like, cult, like you know appropriate whatever it is i think that you can go in and, and read a lot about what cultural appropriation means but i was always felt like a cultural agitator to where i'd like i went to school the reason i went to temples because i went to school for for, for anthropology because i was obsessed with culture like literally i was obsessed with like what it means to be a human being like what what it is to, to be creative and what do you, what is it what, what defines you from who you are to, to create what you are mm. and i was obsessed with like the history of people in like different places like why do japanese people dress like this and why do they make music like this and what's Hindu religion about and like what does it mean to be like uh you know maybe a, if, what's it like to be living in Texas and like work at a cement factory like what is this yeah. like this is what I was always obsessed with and I went to school for anthropology and, and, and documentary filmmaking and I was like I really wanted to bring people and in, in culture to life in a, in a in a clever way in a new way and I worked on some documentaries I even made one a couple of years ago before I started making music about Brazil I was like obsessed with like the music there and the culture and the weirdness of it. It's just fucking weird. Like yeah, no one, to, yeah, Salvador once and it was wild. No, because that place is just defined by it's a fucking mess. There's no, it's like it's European, it's Portuguese, it's African, it's Indian, Japanese it's even. Japanese. It's like all those things create something, and um, that's what that's why I've kind of like always shy away from like discussing like what it means to create culture because culture is mutations and it ha if to, for it to move and for things to be created you have to put two things together that, that shouldn't belong or mm. that are random like you know a japanese like if you go to in sao paulo there's a neighborhood called liberdade and it's one million japanese brazilians live in this neighborhood and you so walk around wow. and see like japanese guy's mm -hmm. name like you know miguel carvalho <laughs> kawasaki and he's got like long hair and he's fucking walking around like a yeah, fucking yeah. g and you're like that's yeah, not that's, but son, that, i bet yeah but that's like that's a real fucking right that's a thing and that's like I, i'm like i love that that exists and like yeah. what what's like what's comes from that and like the what why is there samba music or or bossa nova and it comes from these things that just explosions right and that's what culture is to me and i always want to be part of that you love that so, you love culture man so I, even if it's not just the music music just seems to be the easiest way for people to to ex to digest culture is like music because mm. that's like going to be your introduction to country music your introduction to like african music this the music is, is it you don't have to read about the history of africa to like understand a nigerian record it just affects you right so that's why i love music and the idea of culture but um i would love to work back in film and documentary that would be cool if i get older because i mean you know my days are numbered as a dj i hope that i want to be like a 55 year old dj I, if i if i can make it that long i'll, I'll do it if it pays the bills but i'm being at the end of the day i want to I want to age gracefully and do more do more things. I think music was one thing I do. Maybe it's film and TV next. I don't know. Yeah, maybe I own a pizza shop or something. Yeah, you know, maybe a woodworker. I could see that, dude. Would you? Um, I have to fucking pee so bad, man. I have to pee too. Right. Yeah, if you want to watch Let's this movie, it's it's, it's a it's hour it's hour and twenty five minutes, but it's not that well done. But I funded the whole movie by myself. Like I would get shows. I'd oh, go really? Back to Brazil. Favela on blast. Yeah, I would get money from shows and go back to Brazil and bring a camera and like shoot no. shit. No, I Who shot it with you. It's a guy in Brazil that I knew named Leandro. He's a filmmaker that I met. I, I worked at this magazine called Colors 
as a as a young person, I got a job there and I met a bunch of filmmakers and stuff and I just kept in touch with them before internet, you know, and this is like 2007 or something. No, 2000 or 2004. And I just met some creative people and I met this guy and we made a movie together and um, I would never, ever suggest doing something like this on your own. Like, I just like the biggest waste of money I made, like, and having like the pressure of creating it and like having like be stingy on the budget, like everything I made money-wise, I put back in the movie for that couple of years, so. And yeah, you go halfway down the road, you got to get all the way there. Yeah. Yeah. I got to pee so bad. I'm sorry. Yeah, me too. Should we go pee together? Yeah, maybe go pee together. Is there different styles or let's go? Oh, this one I want to ask you about. So ego, so like, you know, in the last couple of years, I've had a bigger career, right? And so, you know, there are moments where my, where my ego starts to get big, you know, and I, and I never, I always knew I had maybe some ego. We all have it. Yeah. But I never really thought like, oh, well, what is, you know, like, and there's moments where it started to feel really, contr- you know, not out of control, but it grows without my consciousness of, yeah. of it growing. Do you ever have any issues like with that or just, were you ever able to see that in your own life? I think, I think. I think that's people probably see it more than I do, you know, when it comes to ego, because I'm just like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a kind of an independent person and maybe it affects other people's lives, like build up my friends or my uh, family. And I, sometimes they put me in check, but for the most part, I mean, being humble is where I, I think I got where I'm at. Like you always got to pay dues and just feel feel good but if you really want an ego check just go on Twitter every, every once in a while and just see what people are talking <laughs> shit about and that'll fucking yeah. break you down pretty quick. I also think I I started about four years ago. I did ayahuasca for the first time, and um, that's a fucking ego deflator, like hardcore. Like, yeah. You do that, and it's like a drug that kind of puts you, like you might even poop your pants. So you, it just kind of breaks down. Yeah. That whatever you feel, you become like more of a of a, of a it naturalizes you in a way. I, I, yeah, I, that I don't shame. explain it. Yeah, it kind of gives you the shame. Yeah, like, and you're puking and you're thinking of things and you don't. You just, it's it's you're in a dark, it's dark and then it's bright and you just you you go through a lot of things. The best way to explain it, how it helps you, is that you have a messy closet, right? When you when you do ayahuasca, it kind of helps put everything in the drawers, mm. so it, you can like understand things a little better because that's what your brain probably is it's like a messy closet sometimes. But I've done that, and that, the two times I did it, it really helped ground me to where I had another outlook a little bit, mm-hmm. and I try to use that message now when I you know because it is important to not have an ego, but at the same time, egos. Back to six nine, it got him where he's at. Like even if he, even if it's all big play, he knows right. he's using it for his advantage. Sometimes it could work. It kept could backfire pretty yeah. easy if you don't have it planned out. If you're not playing chess with it, if you're playing like checkers with it, you, it could backfire on you. But yeah, um, we had um, you know, one of my favorite comedians is a guy Chris D'Elia, and he would always um reference you on his instagram called what am i I yeah Yeah. did you ever interact with him about that did you think that it was yeah well he he was friends with dylan francis uh early on and i i think um i I met him through through that and i never met him actually but we just i I, I didn't understand i don't know if he was making fun of me or not in the beginning but i I was retweeting it i thought it was pretty funny yeah it was so funny but but, but i was like i'm not even that special but i guess i'm like a (laughs) b-level celebrity that he picked because i thought you could put could pick somebody better or whatever but uh it was kind of cool. I got a lot of like a lot of people always tag me when he did that. Yeah, but um, funny. I thought because then I got to be, I got to go to once I started getting like nice green room and stuff. I'm like, what am I, Chris D'Elia? It made it so it was fun <laughs> for me because then I got to do it to uh, just make fun, like make bring him into it, you know, be part of his thing from it. Um, but yeah, I was just wondering how that landed on you. I never, I never really. We, we, we. He always comment on my Instagram, and he was like, dude, fucking. He's bizarre, like you know. I think oh, that's, yeah, that's yeah. what's really cool about him. It was like he's real creative. You man. scratch your head when you see some of the stuff he does. And I think Dylan Francis, another DJ, was like kind of like borderline comedy and a DJ, which is kind of a cool space because no one really does that. Um, 
but Dylan was really, he, he would act and was in TV shows and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, yeah. Chris is too, too creative, man. He's like, he's like Riff Raff. Sometimes you watch some of those videos, like, what the fuck are you thinking? And I don't think he's trying to like, not even land him to be funny. It's just almost like, it's just, it's just something which is great. Was a, a real creator can kind of not really aim for like a success, but just like a shock value thing. Um, another guy who I love, who's kind of like half comedian, half dancer, is this guy named, um, fuck, I'm gonna have to look him up. I always forget his name. He's a, a dancing guy. Um, he, I was gonna take a second, we gotta edit this out. No worries, there's a guy, Cholo to... Fit Creeper, that I like, who's Latino. Oh, is that dog faced guy too? That uh-uh. he's like a he's like a crip kind of like dances in oh, yeah, 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 him. Um, um, I was, I sent his thing to uh, Frankie, Frankie Quinones, which I think is the best last name. If I could have any last name, it would be Quinones. is a good one, yeah, it's uh, this guy, Casey Frey. Oh yeah, Casey Fraser. Bro, I mean, he first of all, he's one of the sickest dancers ever. And he doesn't really dance that often, but his like some of his comedy is just like <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. what the fuck. And then the way he integrates like dance and comedy, like I don't even think he does he, he does it on purpose. He just is like it's just special. It's just who he is. Yeah. Yeah. I played basketball a couple times. We we know each other just from he's in, he's friends with a lot of the DJs and um love that guy. He's like so he inspires me a lot. He seems really cool. People always uh say you gotta uh talk to casey frayer you yeah. got to connect with them maybe that's a good vibe that i need to um i think that's everything that i have man i mean i could keep talking about stuff but <laughs> you know i just want to yeah thank you for your time and, yeah man and Thanks it's interesting time. yeah man i do think it's interesting how like even just from talking to you it makes me want to know a little bit more about uh you know it makes me want to know more about music but it makes me want to also have a little bit more respect for like the history of music because yeah people don't realize like that even just like humans like music comes from like parents yeah you know like music like each sound has like a couple of parents to exactly. it you know and grandparents and then um i mean i think you do the same thing with that i do with comedy like you know the history like you said some of your favorite comedians oh yeah yeah i, I um, do know a good bit about it i think it. i think it like the, and you know you're you're gonna be you know you're you're you're, you're the com- comedy of right now so you have to take all the things that happened before you understand that twist it up and then know how far you can push things and i heard kevin hart say that once he's like he has a black comedian he always like he's gonna push it further than he and then there's gonna be someone in five years gonna push it further than him it's mm. like their job his idea is just to blaze a trail and i think you it's gonna be the same thing like you know the history and you're gonna push it as the character that you are and the person you are and i think it's a little bit difficult now because you have to walk a tighter line with but comedy I almost like the challenge part of me sometimes yeah. last week i was like you know two weeks ago i was scared yeah and then last week i was like you know what this is what it is you know and i think that i can do it it's going to make people be a little bit tighter about yeah. what they do almost when you have a set of rules it sounds fucked up because we were just talking about how there should be no rules or anything but it also can create something special i'm gonna give you a really boring metaphor uh you're probably gonna edit this out but i went to film school and i went to a class Why called not? a class called iranian iranian cinema mm-hmm. and um <laughs> Damn, bro, i live in westwood bro so okay yeah, this I'm, might be, might be some it. people but um Iran has this amazing film industry in the 90s and there's a director called Abbas Karistami and he made a record a movie called like Water, Waterford or something about chocolate. Waterford chocolate? Something like something for chocolate. Maybe look up the film because I don't want to fucking butcher yeah, this. Waterford chocolate. Waterford chocolate. But he is a famous director because in Iran, it's such a Muslim country and the rules to make a film, like you can't sh- show any women without the hair mask. You have to sh- talk about God in certain ways. There's like all these fucking rules. Wow. But these guys made these films where it's like such a narrow line they can walk and they always win like awards worldwide for these films they make. This guy especially because it's just like, 
he made a lot of films, but I think he having those rules and having to have to work inside that mm. became something really. You have to push even harder to get that creative juice in people to know what you're, what you're talking about and make a message happen. So, dude, that no, that's so interesting to say to hear you say that. Yeah, because the rules, it was almost like when the teacher or if the government, whatever it is, it tells you, okay, this these are the rules. It's there's something then inside of you that's like, okay, okay, I see your rules. Yeah, I'm gonna play by the rules, but watch what I'm gonna yeah, do. Yeah. Find a loophole or something. Yeah, man, that's that's pretty fascinating. Um, Thomas Wesley, thank you so much for being here. Do you like Diplo? Or do you like Thomas? Do you? My real name is actually Thomas Wesley Pence, but just like I, I put the Thomas Wesley, my first and middle name, because a lot of country guys have two first names. It's kind of oh, the vibe. Right um, but yeah, Wesley's my real name. People do always you, call me Wesley. Do you feel like a? Do you feel like you are still Diplo? Do you feel like it's been like a like you're a snake or something ever that shed its skin? It's, do you feel like it's just something that? I mean, people. People when they when fans see me now, they go Thomas because they just read my Wikipedia page or whatever. They don't want they don't want to say Diplo. It's also not a very cool name, but it's like, you know, it's it's more of tri- it almost seems tribal a little <laughs> yeah, bit though, like, in a weird way. I, I kind of it doesn't it, it never had really a defined reason to be called that, but I you know whatever it worked it worked for me and I, I did a lot of different music, but at this point I have so many different little bags like I do like. Thomas Wesley did like the Major Laser. Did this thing called Silk City with Mark Ronson. Did a thing called LSD with a uh, um, Sia and Labyrinth, and it was like a psychedelic project. So I'm just like fascinated with like you can do things, you can right. do different things, and you can be different people. And that's kind of like th- it throws you into a tussle if you kind of want to bring out the like, cultural whatever. I can I, I do whatever, so you can't really. I know I know no group can be mad at me for too long. So I'm right. gonna. I'm going to be move on to the next thing by the time they figure out what they're mad about. It's interesting the cultures that are kind of within us, even within our seri- within our types of thought, you know? Like sometimes we're, we might not even recognize that repeated thoughts that we have inside of us or even take on a culture of our own. And if we're afraid to act on those, are we like kind of putting a dam on like some ability of our I own think, creativity and stuff? Art is like, man, that's the one thing, man. Putting, putting art in a box is like you're, you're keeping yourself from so many experiences. Um, that could happen you know yeah it's always about being like opening yourself up a little bit and you know it's all about just being a nice a good person being kind having empathy and create but create with you know do things responsibly it's not that hard you can fuck up also you can fuck up and fucking fix it and say a fuck yeah you can say you can fuck up i mean look at people always talk about um xxx temptation i brought him up a lot in this conversation i don't know if you know his music that well but Mm-mm. he had a terrible he's a rapper that um yeah no just of his death and his- he had a terrible uh history with women and violence and women and um a lot of people, you know, wrote him off for that, and um, and I feel them. They, if they want to, they can. They have the right to do that. But he affects a lot of people's lives where they just his music really touched people in a way that rap hasn't done that in a long time. People like have records that had this like Kurt Cobain feeling, which was really and raw, mm. and like, people affected that way. Like little people did the same thing, and I think it's okay for him to work at himself and be better. And I think the music, like I said, music's about a feeling. Music is something that doesn't have to have history sometimes right a lot of people die. i mean you can also define like michael jackson take him off the radio some people say like that i mean do what you, what you want i'm not going to take michael jackson off my my itunes i'm not going to stop playing his records if you don't give people the ability to like recognize or learn yeah or evolve or anything it's, i mean people should be such a case. not everybody should be defined by their history look a good example is like malcolm x you know um if you had wrote him off like you know beating women and going to prison and doing things and went to prison, changed his life and became a great leader and an amazing, you know, philosopher in a way. Um, so the, people have lots to offer, yeah. you know, I think you need to define like, what is it that's not right? And 
let them know that and like let them change and um hopefully that makes it better for other people yeah because cancel culture it's easy to take down celebrities but you're not taking down the guy next to you at a bus or whatever that's actually doing damage or like verbally abusing or a woman that's you know right that's what we have to we have to find the ways to change those things like where where it's where it's normalized for people in everyday culture like in a frat or whatever it is that's going to be the ones to, to change the world not the not just like yeah somebody a tweet. gotcha moment on a, on a on a twitter or something but yeah yeah i agree man it's it's definitely disheartening to see like some of that some of that culture you know uh but yeah but but to take it into our regular lives you know yeah. and to recognize okay well first of all what are my own behaviors that i could be you know like even going back to the black lives matter movement and and just seeing a lot of that go on you know like um it just made me think like okay well what let me really ask myself you know if i if i'm talking to a black person do i have different things in the back of my head while i'm talking with them you know or if i'm if i'm with one of my black friends and my behave you know like just little things which some of it's okay some of it's just nature and it's going to be but just make sure just to check myself to see what's going on you know and and we have to we have to allow spaces where people can do that uh i mean we're all broken people yeah life's about learning and changing i mean if we if we want to say it so no one can change fuck we're not we're fucked yeah. we're fucked because yeah. that's we, we got to change everybody's got to change and and that's it's, it's okay yeah it's okay to do better yeah um yeah right. it's okay to do better that's a good that's a good statement uh thomas wesley uh thanks so much for being here man let's thank you for having me appreciate we'll do it again it, yeah we'll do next it again. next country album gang dude now i'm just floating on the breeze and i feel i'm falling like these leaves i must be cornerstone Oh, but when I reach that ground, I'll share this peace of mind I found. I can feel it in my bones, but it's gonna take a little time for me to set that parking brake and let myself unwind. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Jonathan Kite, and welcome to Kite Club, a podcast where I'll be sharing thoughts on things like current events, stand-up stories, and seven ways to pleasure your partner. The answer may shock you. Sometimes I'll interview my friends. Sometimes I won't. And as always, I'll be joined by the voices in my head. You have three new voice messages. A lot of people are talking about Kite Club. I've been talking about Kite Club for so long, longer than anybody else. So great. Hi, sweetheart. Here's a deal. Anyone who doesn't listen to Kite Club is a dodgy bloody wanker. Jermaine. Oh, hi, I'll take a quarter pounder with cheese and a McFlurry. Sorry, sir, but our ice cream machine is broken. <laughs> I think Tom Hanks just butt-dialed me. Anyway, first rule of Kite Club is tell everyone about Kite Club. Second rule of Kite Club is tell everyone about Kite Club. Third rule, like and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts or watch us on YouTube, yeah? And yes, don't worry, my Brad Pitt impression will get better.